0: Good afternoon. Uh thank you for tuning in. This is episode six of the Rubbly Quizzes podcast. Uh yeah you with know, myself Dan and Josh. Josh, how are you, mate? Good stuff. How was the uh, the fishing trip? I'm good, mate, yourself.
1: Did you catch anything? It was good, mate. Uh yeah, nice nice two fish, but then blank the week What's after. Up? So was he going to again this weekend? Oh, Morton in Cheshire good stuff what are you fishing with not, what not fish boilies mate pellets the lock, and What what is he fishing anything for anything I, I'm not really a
0: fan of
1: fishing you. to be honest so I'm not just uh... just just carp mate in general really but like if the water's have been going I've got cat fishing as well so if the Cats manage to take it's the then I'll be happy with the Cats um, as well. Yeah,
0: so rugby League, mate, even though there's not really been much on, it's uh, you know, it's as, it's prevalent as ever. There's lots of news, isn't there? So, what, what, what have you, uh, you got in your mind? What, what's
1: taking your brain over, Josh? There's a few, mates. I've got a list. I've got, we've got obviously, the the salary cap with Super League. The John Bateman rumours what are flying round and the Warrington Wolves announcing Greg Inglis is signing signed for next year is massive. The new rules in the NRL, which I think's a bit a bit naff really. The start date for Super League to start again and what phases. And about just to touch up on the women's game, obviously we've got Jordi on further in the interview and just just to touch yeah, up I mean, on the women's the game. There,
0: let's start with the uh, the salary cap so um that's something that's caught a bit of attention. Obviously, the players took a bit of a, a stand yesterday as well, didn't they, with the um, the GMB Union and the, the, the blue sticker on Twitter. So, what, what do you think of that, Josh?
1: For me, so, yeah. the salary cap isn't big enough as it is. And we're losing our best players in Super League in the NRL because of that reason as well. salary cap, so to lower it, Again, I think, can you blame... You can't blame players for going now. It's more money, it's a better life. I'm not saying all oh, players go for more money and stuff like that. It's just a better life and they want to test themselves against the best. But if they lowered the salary cap over here, mate, I think growing up as kids and if you get picked up by, a, like, so you your you're and wanting, would you really want to go down that path in life? Because there, there could be jobs out there that would pay more than what they'd offer if the salary cap did get reduced. I'm glad the players have all stuck together. I'm glad they've obviously they've come to a decision tonight to stick by the salary cap for next year. But I just lowered it. for it, it is me, yeah. And, and
0: obviously, just to put a bit of sort of numbers on that, it's 2.1 at the minute. Uh, we're playing off a 2.1 salary cap. Um, the intention was to go down as low as 1.7. Now, um, you know, some of these these squads have you know 30 men. Uh, playing in them, so it's good down to a 1.7 salary cap. It's a, an average wage uh, average wage of 50 grand, and this is a professional sport, isn't it? So, um...
1: and it's not it's not just that Dan. It, it the, the salary cap it is now clubs struggle to yeah exactly keep to that salary cap now. So imagine lowering it, and you think. You've got your Lachlan Cooch, you've got your Greg English coming over here. Warrington, I've said he isn't a marquee player and he fits under the cap uh, neatly as well, which <laughs> I'd love to see how they've ended up doing that. Toronto Wolfpack, the plays they've signed, and you, you, you've you got to look at the, the Wolfpack and the plays they've got and the quality they have. You won't have that in Super League. I think, to be fair, even if it was a an Aussie coming over off the the back end of his career and it got lowered to 1.7 would, would an Aussie w- want to come over here for the money Super League was going to offer if it got lowered I don't think even the cast off to the NRL would, would look at Super League anymore yeah, so I think that could kill the game and uh, the only thing what would benefit from that is academy players get more game time but obviously the better they get then the more money they want and where they go to Australia and it's just a recycle and you, we just fall more behind the Aussies in every yeah, every level it, across the board.
0: Essentially, you just become a, a, breeding, a breeding ground, don't you? And, um, you know, you look at, like I said, you look at our, like St, obviously we're both St. Helens fans, but you look at our squad, for instance, with, you know, Nagama, Coote, even Paulo, you know, he may not have set the world on fire, but he's not coming over here for a modest wage, is he? You know, he's earning a few quid. And then you've got Lomax, Percival, um, you know, whilst Roby, maybe Marquis, Luke Thompson, Alex Wormsley, Mark Percival, Tommy makinson you know, these players—they're not—you're not playing professional sport for for less than fifty grand a year. You? you know, every single one of them players should be earning two, three hundred thousand pound a year. That's what they're earning in the NRL. So you can't physically do that within one point seven. Hundred percent.
1: No, there's no way. And obviously, Saints fans—you look at the past years obviously we've lost Luke Thompson now to Canterbury. He's the first prop Saint yeah. i have lost to the NRL since James Graham. We fought off people for Warms and Tommy Makes, and Even even like T Lomax Roby. we fought we have we actually have gone tour to sour with NRL clubs and done our best. But if that salary cat gets lowered, could Saints No if, chance could Saint do that. You know like well yeah they, I don't think there is a chance. So you imagine if it got lowered Tommy makes and as as world class as he is, he 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 won't be at sense. There's there's no way the cruise are short enough and they need as much money as they can to obviously carry on after the game. There's there's just no way you'd be able to fight any competition off from the NRL if that salary cap got lowered. There's there's no way I, I
0: agree, Holy I think the other thing as well is what 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 it does is if you reduce the salary cap is, you know, let's just use Tommy Macins and again for for an example, so um, he had offers from NRL, he made that quite obvious at the, the end of 2018, I think it was, or 17, I can't remember. He went over, he spoke to Nathan Brown at Newcastle and he went up to North Queensland and that sort of thing. Um, there, there's no doubt that he could have earned more money in the NRL, but what happens is when, when you're able to offer a player... That little bit of money to say you are going to earn money, so he could have earned five six hundred thousand um, a year in the NRL, which is probably equivalent to between two fifty and and three hundred grand over here. Um, if you can turn around and say, "Well, we'll give you one now it doesn't necessarily add up to what the NRL are offering, but if you're in your home country, you're earning a good wage, you're playing a level that you you know you you're able to to excel at. Even though you might not earn the exact amount that you you know you're worth, there's a bit of comfort in the fact that you know you're already able to to earn that and and you're achieving it what you need to achieve. So to earn a good wage, whether it be one hundred and twenty or two hundred, you know there's you're you're earning a healthy living. And as soon as that drops to you know sixty seventy, as it may be if it was a one point seven cap, it becomes a completely different scenario, doesn't it? And and that's when you start losing players as. As sort of other clubs have, and and you look at Wigan, for instance, with you know George Williams, you know recently left, John Bateman, and and they've sort of become the, the the flagship club as, as a breeding ground for the NRL, and you know I, I don't want any other clubs to go that way, and you know as much as Wigan are great at what they do, I, I want clubs to grow the, the the talent to retain them and and, and grow as a club, um, as opposed to just being that breeding ground where as soon as someone becomes an England international, they essentially you know ship off to the NRL and, and we bring another one through because that just dilutes the
1: competition, doesn't it? It does, mate. And obviously said there about Wigan touching up and I think Wigan's his problem is, Dan, when I look at Wigan and you am not saying this is a bitter Saints fan, well, I, I hope I don't come across as bitter when I said this. Wigan's biggest struggle is the rent they've got to pay and don't get me wrong, they probably to a lot more on the fans than the football, but the event wigan will be got to pay to the the, the football to use the DW staging is yeah. is horrendous, and no wonder yeah. Wigan can't fight to keep hold of these players because they, they've got they've got to get the money from somewhere. You know, like Ian Lenigan will go back like we did a few weeks back about when the RFL and Super League separated, and Ian Lenigan basically started it, and then. The 16 million got pumped into the RFL, and Ian Lennigan's the first to go running back. You think, well, hold on a minute, Ian. You was the first one to get everyone come away from the RFL. Now you want to go back to the RFL, and you you look at stuff like that. And you think, yeah, it isn't good. But then you look at the Wigan squad now. And you think that is one hell of a hell of a squad, and they've done well to to get where they have now. Is is that the funds they receive for players starting to come? get used now with Wigan or I, I don't know that it's it's an interesting one how they brought the salary cap and then all of a sudden the designs a cardek, your French Hastings, your Burgesses and, and it, but like, it, it's interesting how teams can fit so much quality under a small under a small cap now. Never mind doing it under the small
0: exactly cap. and one of the teams that surprises me there really is, is Hull FC. Um now I look at their squad and you know they brought Savillio on from from England that wouldn't have been cheap. Uh, Joe Westerman, um, Scott Taylor, Danny Outen, Jamie Shaw, you know, Snead, Keller, some great players that you know, won't, again won't be on modest contracts. And, and and they're one of the teams that are appealing to to reduce the cap. I, I was repealing before. You know, obviously it's been confirmed that it will reduce. It makes me wonder why they're doing that now. Adam Pearson's a you know he's put a lot of money into that club, but. Why are they one of the clubs that are wanting to reduce the cat What are they trying to achieve, Josh?
1: He was crying poverty, Dan, in this uh, pandemic. I think when you was reading about Rugby League, I think it was only Hull who wasn't getting any money. I don't think Pearson realised that every other Super League club are in the same boat. It's not every other Super League club's fault that he's gone out and spent what he couldn't afford because that's what he... he that's what he's done. He, he's obviously not been able to afford what he spent off-season. And the pandemic's come and it's it hit him hard. So now he's trying to punish other teams for him to save a bit more money. Yeah, I, it'd be sad if all did go under, and I, I hope he never do. But I think what he's trying to call for there is basically, I've overspent, I want it reduced so I can save some money. Well, no, that, that's just bad business. Why should you punish... Other teams, because I can guarantee that if it gets reduced, your Lachlan Coot and your Kevin Nagamas, your Bevan Fench and your Jackson Astens, your Conrad Hullall, and who else is there? Your Gareth Widips, your Blake Austins At least one club would lose at least one Kendrick of them play. players, if not two. You might end up with just Coot yeah. and, and you And you, you come close to losing your homegrown talent as well, because obviously your homegrown talent doesn't. Only a certain percentage counts towards the cap after ten years, but from zero years to the ten years, like Team Hart, Pershing is one of the, possibly one of the best centers in Super League, along with Oliver Gilbert. They're not going to stick around and be on these baby contracts when the, the two exactly. top centers in the league. It, exactly, it, right. and, and the other
0: thing that it does as well is you know you look at the history of of marquee players with you know Ben Barber being the obvious one, but you know Blake Austin. Um, you know, Gareth Widder, recently come over, Hastings, who I'm sure is probably on that contract at Wigan. But, you know, th- these are the type of players that you expect to be called marquee players. If you reduce that cap, then, you know, then players don't play in the league. They go to Union or um, NRL, and the quality of marquee player drops to, to maintain, you know, some form of, of quality player just to stop them from going to the NRL. So, no offense to Matt personally, he's a great player, but. Is he someone you class as a, a, a marquee player or a great player? He's a great player. A marquee player is the step beyond that. But if you reduce the cap to 1.7, he has to become a marquee player just so you can keep him, doesn't he? And, um,
1: but it, you, you also look at it, Danny, look at it this way. that You're, you're an international centre and you've you broken to the first team and you, the first three years, four years, you, you, you get your English cap. You're knocking on the door for a moment straight yeah, away, yeah. are you? Straight away. But, yet you go in and say, oh, we, we can only give you the 30 grand yeah. a year, 40 grand You're a year. not sticking around, there. you? are going to laugh. You're going to think, fuck, 20 grand a year, I'm an international centre. And I'm an eight out of ten each week. <sighs> nah, not not for me. But knowing Super League, mate, they'll, they'll lower the salary cap to 1.7, <laughs> but you can have 10 mark each yeah. <laughs> you've got three now, so anything could happen. We're lowering it to 1.7, but you can have 13. Ryan Hampson and Jack Owens back at Sardes and lucky We're Josh Perry at the back of that at 45. And then we possibly could get Luke Thompson back at 55 <laughs> from Canterbury for for, for 15 grand this season.
0: Um so the other one there is, is obviously Lomax. So Lomax has expressed, you know, on a couple of occasions, his his desire to, at some point, give rugby union a whirl. Um, now again, we've lost Owen Farrell, George Ford over the years to to rugby union. Um, ben Te'o as well. Obviously, he went from the NRL. But even so, players that don't go to the N- yeah yeah yeah. Exactly. So players that don't go to the NRL will inevitably test the ram in union won't they so you know, there's, there's huge challenges I, I don't
1: I, I, at the moment being Saints fans Dan, I think it's hard enough with obviously what we've watched for the last two years to so what we've watched this <laughs> season don't mention Johnny Lomax leaving, <laughs> please oh wow don't, don't do that mate talk. we don't use him anyway
0: five drives and a kick what, what use is Lomax
1: <laughs> <laughs> what use is Lomax yeah where you been for last few years? <laughs>
0: Next thing, obviously, a couple of things we've touched on there is not... he, obviously the Salary and um, Warrington, Greg English. No, first of all, how good is that? <laughs> first of all, how good is it to
1: see? <laughs> first of all, it's good, Dan. Dan, of course, the biggest name in rugby League worldwide, Greg English. No matter where you're from, I can guarantee when we had Lauren Hardy <laughs> on the other week on the Toronto special, I think they'll know who Greg yeah. English is. Um, it's massive. Mate. It's massive. And all the bitter fans who was out there, and and that's what it is. It is bitter. Yeah. That you had your Saints fans, your Wigan fans, saying, oh, he, he, he won't do anything. He will he will do something in Super League, 100%. So soon you know, as I see that, mate, I thought straight away, Manist, you yeah. know, don't get me wrong, he hasn't played for two years when he, when he signed for once. And so the biggest thing for me is con- Contact we don't know he could be doing contacts at South Sydney or you, you, you just don't know what's happening behind closed doors don't get me wrong contact and drain into a contact in a match is, is something else but that signing mate is, is is massive and whoever does the contracts at Warrington and obviously the marquee and the salary cap well they, they've done a very good job because some of the plays they've got there mate you think how oh, have they fitted that under the cap
0: Exactly right, and, and obviously people are saying that you know Wade, Paul, Austin, one of them has to move on now. They come out and said he's not a marquee. Even if he's not a marquee, each marquee player, the first hundred goes towards the cap, doesn't it? So um, you know, there's lots of players there that are earning. You'd expect around the hundred k mark. So to, to me, a, a player's got to move just, on. One of the one of the top earners is moving on, and you know, good. Well, uh,
1: it, it's hard, man. I I don't know because I think Warrington are, are, are clever. Of, you've just got to look at the signings they've done over the recent years. I, I, Greg Inglis is the biggest star yeah. in the league, but he's not played for two years. So the ball could have been in Warrington's court. But basically, he might have wanted to come out and no NRL RL comes him because of, he's not played for two years. So straight away, they looked lots Super League. To get back to the NRL, is that what he's doing? And with the with him not playing for two years, of Warrington basically said, "Look, we're offering you this. If you don't want this, then we're not. We're not. You're not signing for us." So was he signed just for the desperate of to get get back into the NRL, and that's why he signed a one year deal, or has he actually signed and just for the coming Super League for the season? And no, so it'd be interesting the, when he does. Then the,
0: the deal he signed is a one year with an option. Um, so it's essentially. Two-
1: but it's always yeah. the option. Now, isn't
0: it? The option bizarrely sits in Warrington's favour. Now, these deals are normally struck up with a one year like Blake Austin's, for instance, was a two year deal with an option where the option sat with Blake Austin. And essentially, what that means is he's got a three year deal. If an NRL club wants him, you know, he's got a, a get out clause sort of thing. So the one year with the option in, in, in the favour of Warrington suggests that. Inglis is, is really just quite keen to play the game again. Now, wh- when I first saw this, I-, I remember looking at it thinking it it's published. Though. In some way it's published this warrington.
1: Uh, oh mate, the amount A hundred
0: percent. And not just that, you know. We've seen it with Barber. You know, the attendance figures, you know, despite the fact that we won the year last the, the, despite the fact oh, we won the, the, the grand final last year and um we probably a better team last year the attendance was higher in 2018 because Barber was there. You know, there's there's no getting away from that. But again, the the English factor, you know, it puts bums on seats 100%. But then I sent an interview with with Greg Inglis over in Australia and he said he wasn't medically retired. They said, what about the medical retirement? And he said, I wasn't medically retired. And he sort of had that glimmer glimmer in the eye where, you know, there's something missing for him. He, he, He wants to go out on his own terms. So that first of all,
1: you know, it means business, they, 100% it does. They, they said that it was a two-year rest, yeah. basically, but I, I'm I'm looking at Warrington's squad now, Dan, and obviously if they do any more signings, which if they do any more signings, them, the big signings and they get to fit it under the cap, which I think they're probably borderline now, then hats off to him. But I think if Warrington, I know we have a joke and stuff like that as Saints fans, if Warrington do not win the Super League next year, with this, with this squad of players, will they actually ever, ever, yeah. ever win? Question, With With Gareth Widder, you do, mate. And and another question as well, where, where's he going to play? It, 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 full back, you've got Ratchford, and then you've got your Widder, you've got the Austins, you've got your Centres, you've got your King. Uh, yeah. Sorry, not yeah. King. you, you got, got t- King plays
0: right centre, don't you?
1: Yeah, King, sorry, yeah, and... I
0: can't remember who plays left. I
1: can't. Hey, Gellin. Yeah, Gellin. Yeah, yeah, Gellin. You've got your Gellin, and you just think, well, where's Greg English going to play? But then it's Greg English, you realise it's Greg English, or so is Ratchford's time over at Warrington, or like you said before, is, is one of them big names leaving? Is Daniel Clark going to go and win it we'll push the 9, and that releases... It, it, it's, I think, it's, I think it's going to be interesting.
0: Like Full-back's a hard position. I can't see him playing full-back. I think left-centre, he'll slot there in left-centre. and you know, he... Is Gellin's time over? Is that, I is that don't know. I, 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 yeah. I don't know if Gellin really shone at Warrington. You know, he spent last year in the Championship. He, he's not really hit it this year for Warrington. And then obviously he had the thing with his misses <laughs> and whatever. So, Maybe his time is up. I'm, I'm not sure, but I, I don't think that you know there's a, a player in Super League you can displace Greg Inglis. But I think left just suits him. It gives no, him that freedom. It gives him that chance to you know to come into the game when he wants. If he wants to have a um, you know a couple of sets where he doesn't make an impact, he can do that. He, he won't have make a lot of tackles. He can he, he can make an influence on the game when he wants to, and and I think that'll suit him. I think fullback you know is too you know demanding and. Again, I just I, I I don't think fullback in in Super League or the NRL suiting, but I certainly think left centre in Super League were, you know, a, a team like Warrington who will spend most of their game with more positional opposition. But
1: Greg English, but Greg English, Greg English, open player, down lethal, yeah,
0: running
2: lethal.
1: on. That that that's what they've also got to look at. It it's a bit like Wigan now with Bevan Finch. Last season when he signed, we knew he was quick, but this season he looks the real deal, from open player. I think, but that also then flattens Zach because I think Zach Ardake is possibly the best fullback in the Super League but yeah, he's, he's he's wasted at centre. I, I, I personally think Zach Ardake won't, won't last any longer at Wigan if that's where he's, his he's is going to end up being because I think Zach Ardake is a waste at centre. I think Zach has got to be an open player and swinging left to right, not, not just staying on the left side like he has been doing this season for Wigan and I think Wigan's got to be careful how to use this because is Tommy Leroy going to do another season and then that means Hardaker will spend another season at centre or will French then go to halfback with Hastings and Zach will go back fullback? It, it, Wigan's got to be careful with, with the Zach Hardaker thing in my eyes as well because I think Zach Hardaker's sort of the better player out of open play and I think that's I where well, Greg English will play when he comes over here. I think he'll be an open player at fullback which what what happens to that?
0: It's hard. Isn't it? One thing that stands out there is St. George over in Australia. Now, you look at their spine on paper, they've got Corey Norman, um, Gareth Widdop, um Ben Hunt, and, and obviously Cameron McInnes now. You know, you're 1679, The on paper, it's brilliant. But then they had the problem last year where Matt Dufter was probably... In 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 better probably one of the best form plays in in the NRL in that first sort of 15 rounds and he had the number 14 shirt on his back and what happened was you'd have Ben up moving to nine you'd have Widdup at fullback sometimes you'd have Matt Duffy jumping at six Matt Duffy at one Matt Matt Duffy in the centres and and what happened was it essentially the, 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 there was no chemistry and 15 rounds in where all the other teams started to push on they just sort of got left behind and and like you said though with Wiggan if if they carry on with Hardacre in the centres and um. You know, Bevan French your fullback, and then all of a sudden they mix that up. You know, with Hastings, Lulaway, and Harry Smith in the six and seven role. You've really got to nail down your one six seven nine early on and stick with it. I mean, I can't think of many examples of a one six seven nine mixing up and and it going well. I, I really can't.
1: I I honestly thought then when they signed Hastings, I thought straight away Tommy and was a bench yep. basically bench on for Powell and. It would have been Airston's French six and seven and Zach fullback, but obviously the injury to Gildart. But then I don't understand that when you've got Chris Ankerson uh, and you, you think we're going to have I've got bundles of centre and they've got world class wingers. So surely they could have, instead of putting Zach to centre, then obviously if Gildart comes back, that's what they'd end up, they're going to end up doing putting French at fullback and uh, French at six with. Hastings at seven, and was that back full-back? well, why didn't they do that from round exactly, one? Yeah. Because then they've yeah. got to build that momentum again. And I, I just, it, it's going to be interesting for Wigan, and it, it, obviously it's going to be interesting for Warrington to see where Greg English is going to play.
0: Exactly, yeah, and and obviously speaking of Wigan, the former second row John Bateman, over in the uh, the NRL. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, the the bat the Bateman, sure. Yeah, isn't it? it's uh, it's odd. I, I don't know what to make of it, to be honest, Jock. So, first of all, I, I don't think it's John Bateman at all. Um, you know, if I'm at work and, and and someone came up to me and said you can do the same job for a different company and I can get you twenty thirty percent more pay, you you'd probably consider it, wouldn't you? And um, that so, that's all he's done. So, he's he's not signed anything. He's not bad mugs or anything like that. But yeah. Um, you know, a false report saying that he he's asked for at least four times. He's categorically confirmed that that's not happened. Um, but nonetheless, he signed a three-year contract. He's a year and a tiny, tiny bit of the second year into that, and he's he's already fishing around it. I don't know where I sit with it. To be honest, I understand but, his point, but that's not what contracts are for, is it? No, but let's
1: let's put it to this prospect than that, he signed a contract, and the contract was worth say six hundred grand his first season. And all of a sudden, he got he come the best second row in the daily m. That for me straight away is screaming for your first twelve months in the NRL to win that award. And to if he if he wasn't at Can- Canberra last year, Canberra don't make hundred percent. No, I agree. I... It, it's yeah. simple as that. So straight straight away, if you're if you're a Canberra coach or chairman or no. Straight away, John Bateman pay rise. John Bateman isn't. Uh, if John Bateman isn't at that club last year, they do, do not reach that camp, the grand final. It's as simple as that. So, yet John is right to go and ask for a pay rise. The media always twist things down as as we know. They they always just to sell a bit yeah. more. And I think you look at Bateman. He's a character in himself, as anywhere. Obviously, he put out there that he's going nowhere and. Obviously, over here, you, you got the rumours he's homesick, he's coming home, and he's signed for Wigan, and you think, no, he is he is not coming back to England for a good five years, unless he does start to miss family, which could be a possibility. But John Bertman, I, I back him in every, every right. If He won the Daily M last year, round the best second round of the Daily M award last year. Yeah, he, he's right to go to Canberra and say, look... I want more money. If not, I'm I'm going elsewhere. And if Canterbury are offering him more money, then I I don't blame him to going to Canterbury. See,
0: I I agree to an extent, but the the problem I've got is if if he, if he went over there and signed a contract where it was six hundred you know thousand dollars a year for the first three years, and that was his contract. If he goes over there and plays dog shit. He, he, he still expects to get paid the $600,000 every year. And that's that. Yeah, so, yeah, you've got yeah. I think from a player's point of view, you've got to understand that when you sign that contract for $600,000 a year for three years, every player who signs for that three-year period is taking up that full cap space. So, if after a year and a half, you think you're worth more, then you know, there's not the space in the cap because... You know, they only offered you six hundred originally because that meant that they could offer Elliot White at six hundred. It means Josh Hodgson gets six hundred. It means, um, you know, Joseph Tapini gets six hundred, and and Josh Papali and whatever you all get the right amount to equal the cap. So if you're in a grand final winning year or grand final, you made the grand final that year. That's because that roster has been, you know, combined at a rate of which each player's paid the right amount to to make it. Now. Like I said, if you, if that goes the wrong way and each player underperforms, then the club have done wrong. But as soon as you know the player overperforms, the club have done that the right way. They can't expect to to get a pay rise. Yes, I agree with them shopping around, but to expect a club to pay you more within a, ca- a salary cap sport is now impossible. Because if they've done it the right way, there's no there's no cap space left to pay players. And if there is cap space left to pay players, but, you're but, playing in the wrong team.
1: But we're, we're, we're talking about a player here, Dan, as I, as I said before. He, he's not at Can- Canberra last year. They do not make the grand final. And I'm not saying that a one-man team, Far from it. But If John Bairman wasn't at Canberra last year, they did not make that grand final. For me, straight away, you look, yeah, within a salary catch ball, I get that. And you must look at the players in Canberra and there must be some deadwood at Canberra where they, they need to get rid of. So why, why don't they start looking at getting rid of the deadwood but all right, John is probably on a, a, a first screw. But I rumors he, he won is it an 800 grand? Yeah, I think after you, you, he was on 580 last that. year,
0: 600 this year, 620 next year. But he, 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 his market value is, you know, without doubt, it's minimum 800, which is what Canterbury Bull said that they're paying year one. So I,
1: I get that. Yeah, yeah but he's, he's in my eyes, Danny. He's worth yeah, yeah, that. Yeah, John Bateman was worth that in Super League. So... There's no difference for what he done in the NRL last season. It's massive. No, no English player has, has done that in the first year, you know, you're bang on. Yeah. NRL. Yeah. It made, he, he he destroyed yeah. the NRL. He come over as as a, a Bradford lad and from Wigan, and he, he's not built as he? he's just he's just an average lad, and he, he just he just wears his heart on his sleeve. And I think John's got all the right in the world to turn around and start to come hold on a minute, what i done for this club last year, I think I'm, I'm due of eyes, if not, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go shopping about and that's the way I look at it now because it's a short career, it, it, it's a short career and I think if it was on the other hand and Bateman played well and Canterbury come into Canberra and said, we'll offer you two million to Canberra, do you think Canberra would turn around and say, said, no, two million, nah, but we'll, we don't want to accept that, too, like, they did snatch the hand off and if John didn't want to leave, he'd have no choice because Camber accepted the the transfer and offer from Canterbury.
0: Yeah, no, yeah. I, I suppose you're right, really. And I think the other thing to add on to that is, you know, if they can get, you know, if they can free up six hundred thousand dollars from the cap as well. Um, one thing I said earlier on, um, and again, I hate to say it, uh, is Morgan Knowles. Now, again, his contract at Saint Helens. I think he's three years into a four-year deal. Um, so, end of 2021, his contract's up. If they can you know, buy him out of his last-year contract for next year, for $300,000, he, he'd get a massive pay right. So, he's, not on, he's nowhere near 150 years at St. Helens at the minute. So, for half the price of a John Bateman, you can get a Marvin Knowles, who's you know, fantastic. And then they've got a ready-made back row there in, in Joseph Tappany. You can just jump on the right edge. And, and, and they won't really miss a beat if they did that. Um, and then that then frees up you 300 can't. grand in their cap where they can, you know, that you know, you look at, you know, even if you go and buy someone like off the top of my head, you know, in the NRL, like a, a Bryce Cartwright who's out of form at the Titans, or um, around Madison at the Eels who only signed a two year deal last year. You know, there's players all over the NRL, you know, you, you can go and chuck a number 17 shirt on a healthy, you know, contractor to 300 grand a year. And, and and they do a job along with Morgan Knowles, who with tapping a jump into the right edge would not miss a beat. I, I can understand why Canberra are saying if you can go and get it to under
1: go and get it. I, I yeah, I I get that down. And obviously the the talks breaking up this week, Canterbury is trying to get Luke Thompson over there. Yeah. as well, and I yeah. think it, it, that that's going to be massive on if if Canterbury can. Sign John Bateman, and then obviously they've, they've got the signature Luke Thompson already. They're they beginning to build yeah, something yeah. special again at the Canterbury. You've got your, you've got your Dylan Nappi, you've got the, your Luke Thompson, and like obviously we're speaking about Bateman going to Canterbury. I think it's a bit disrespectful to Canberra, but I think if they did manage to get the the Bateman signature as well, I think that that's a serious pack to start to build a team around, get two decent half-backs within that, and. I think they, they could actually do well and obviously Canterbury have always been a team for the last couple of years who's been down the bottom, but the years before that he was he was up at the top.
0: For years, yeah. You know, it's only what the, the the fourteen grand finals, you know. That that'll go down in history, that the you know, the Sam Burgess, James Graham clash and what have you.
1: Uh... yeah, hundred percent. And obviously we're touching up on the NRL now and it started back today, Dan, and I, I've missed it, but I know yourself, you, you've watched it, and you were telling me just before we started the podcast about the yeah. new rules, and uh, uh, you like it, and I'm against them and the only reason I'm against the rule is because, all right, I I understand the point of view, it speeds the player the ball up because it stops team messing and stuff like that, but we mourn as fans for consistency, so... There's no consistency in that, because you don't know what you're going to get. You don't know if you're going to get a bat-zero tackle or penalty, penalty. Or you could get, in the first 10 minutes, a zero tackle, then the last 10 minutes you could get a penalty. There's no consistency in that, and all we want as fans is consistency in refereeing.
0: It is, and I remember, um, you know, speaking of consistency, and all you want is consistency, I remember um, Paul Wellings, I can't remember when it, what game it was in or anything like that, I remember him having a go at um, Phil Bentham, I think it was. I think it was at Wigan away in 14. And John Wilkin had been took off the ball three or four times. And, and we did it to them once and it got blew up as a penalty. And I remember him saying, all we want is, is consistency. And, you know, it's bang on. But I think this really, it will never bring consistency. It's, in, it's impossible to. But I think I disagree with you, Joshua. I absolutely I absolutely love... You know what's been brought in, so essentially, what we're talking about is the real were uh, any rook infringement, um, uh, in the NRL, or you know, well, certainly any rock infringement in the NRL at the minute, the referee has the um autonomy to blow it as a penalty. Or what's now been brought in is he can wave uh, six again. Now, essentially, what that would do is if, if, if your full tackles into a set 50 yards out from you, you know, on the halfway line. So to wave a restart of a set is, is is massive because you've got 10 tackles to get from your naftal to, to the try line, and, and that makes a big difference. So what happened this morning, just a bit of context into that. So Par- Brisbane, you know, the first set of six, Brisbane got to the fifth, they kicked it, Paramount returned it to the 20, and on play four, um, referee waved six again. Um, that happened again, so three tackles into the six-again set so you know on the sixth play there was a, another restart set and then on player 5 they scored so 11 tackles they went from their own 10 and, and scored a try now the important thing that happened there is obviously really early on it became evident that that was going to pull his teams if you give Rook infringement away with the the new um rules you're going to concede tries at some point and what happened was you know i think there was only two more penalties for the rest of the game or two more restart sets for the rest of the game um and, and but what happened was naturally the rook just the rook speed increased massively because if I'm defending, if I'm a, a hooker and I'm defending and I've got two middles with me, I'm pulling them off because I don't want you know any of my team to, to have to defend any more than you know, they really have to. Um, so I think the as much as the referee sort of policed it, the plays themselves really police that because it's detrimental. If you have to do 12, 18, 24 tackles on the run, it's detrimental. And even though it weren't rook infringements which essentially led to it, it became evident because, you know, Brisbane, you know, there was only 12-6 down at half-time. But, you know, I think the the um, possession at that point was 72-28. to, to 28. Um, com- You know, set complete- completions at the end of half-time was 21-9, to which is ridiculous. Um, and obviously, you know, the, the final score was 34-6 and, and, and Brisbane never really had a, a chance in the second half. Now, even though that weren't, there was only two, Paramount of penalties where it was repeat sets. I think because of the way Paramount played the game, um, Brisbane just you know they couldn't keep up with the pace and that that real really opened up the game and and you got the right winner in the end because the game wasn't policed by the well the game was policed by the players but it was policed because the game had just changed so much and I think it, that's what it's going to do. You're going to get the right winner for every game because the the players cannot interfere with that. Um, that the best team is going to win because the best team is going to be the team that control the the best within the laws and the team that play off the back of that. What it will do, Josh, and it's something that I was thinking about before. George Williams, who's you know, probably one of the best running halfbacks England's seen. You know, I, I'm not a big fan of him. You know, as an England player because he can't, not he can't kick, but he's not known for his kicking game, his control game. But he's one of the best ball runners of the of, of the ball of sin. Certainly, as an English halfback, so what you're going to get is you're going to have forwards rolling with this quick ruck set on set on set. That when he gets the ball, his, his back row is going to have so much time and space that defenders won't know what to do. And, and obviously, George is really direct with the way he runs. And if he doesn't score a lot of tries, his back row will, or you know, the full back out the back of it, and what have you. But you're going to have halfbacks that like to run the ball are really going to benefit on the back of this, as well as hookers. Damien Cook's going to have a field day. You know, I look at again if if it was brought into Super League, you look at Johnny Lomax would have a field day because he runs direct. James Rober, Daryl Clark would you know thrive in it. Blake Austin, um, Jackson Hastings, uh, players that run the ball direct would massively benefit. Um, it, again, it's you know, sorry for you know muttering on, but it's a, it's something that I'd like to see brought into Super League because players that run the ball and run direct would would really benefit and, and that that's where I like to see the game isn't it Josh and I, I, I know you're the same as well in terms of you like to see players run
1: I don't know mate I don't know but
0: I, I like it personally
1: I, I, I just I don't know Dan it, it's hard because like you said it, the, the referee has got a point to penalise or wave it back to yeah. six and what happens if if you're in your first in referee you that happens. But you as a player want to kick it into touch, but yet the referee went w- w- back to six. Well, it, not, I, I just, I think it'll work if, if you get a penalty, the referee then should stop and say to the player, do you want it back to six or do you want to, to kick to the touch? Then it just starts with a tap restart. That is fine, but you're taking that decision away from the teams then to to kick to touch because y- you imagine if, if if you're a, 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 a team playing the top teams and kicking to touch is the only way you're going to get downfield, but yet you get a penalty in your 20 to 30, and the referee wears back to six, then you drop the ball and exit, and, and you had that chance then to kick to touch. So I think the real, I wouldn't mind if the breed then goes to him and says you can either tap these start back to six or you kick to touch. And I, I think I wouldn't mind that, but. Then, I just, I don't know, about that. just, it's hard, mate, because you've got the first 10 minutes of the game, it'll just be back to six, back to six. And the last yeah. 10 minutes, it'll just be penalty, penalty, penalty. And you think, hold on, we've watched 70 minutes of the game here without no penalties. And the last 10 minutes have just been 15 penalties for holding on. Yeah, and I think, I, th- new, th- I just...
0: No, I think it, you're right, mate. It's man. an idle mate. Yeah, no, I think you're bang on to be a, to be firm, mate. So at some point, it's—I I, I have no doubt at all that at some point a game will be won or lost on this, on this call alone. I've I've no doubt about that at all. Whether it be, um, you no, know, a, a team saying that they wanted a quick restart but the ref give a penalty or vice versa, at some point a game will be won or lost on this, and and that's going to cause havoc. But, um, and I also agree, like you said there, that. You know, there, there is going to be inconsistencies when, um, you know, our team wanted a tap and they got a, a play of the ball and, and vice versa. But again, I, I just think that, and, and if you do what you said, Josh, so, you know, I, I get what you're saying, but if the referee turns around to him and says, right, do you want a penalty or do you want to play the ball? Well, the benefit of a play of the ball is gone at that point because, you know, it's the markers are square, okay. you've got them back 10 and stuff. So I don't know. I just think at that point it just becomes
1: a normal penalty, doesn't it? But, I dunno mate, I, 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 it, I, 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 it does Dan, but I just I just think it's just I don't I don't know. We we asked for consistency, but yeah, Markers are not going. no one in the ground modes, but what they're gonna get is it gonna be back to six or penalty? I, just, I think the way it,
0: the way it could work, and this is just something that I've just thought of off the top of my head. So the way it could work is if any rook infringement is automatically a play of the ball, so a restart of a set and it's a play of the ball, but the player can make a mark to say, no, we want a penalty, in which case the referee goes with whatever they want to do. So the, re- Sorry, the referee will only have one choice. It's automatically a restart set. So any rook infringement is automatically a restart set. But because it isn't a penalty, because there's been an infringement, if the player think it's a benefit, they can turn around and say, well, actually, we want to go for goal. And and they've got the right to do that, so they they don't have to play the ball as long as they've not played the ball. They have the choice to take it as a penalty. I mean, that's the only way it can work. And in fact, just off the top of my head, I think that actually worked really well because you know I, I, can't, I can't think of any scenario where that wouldn't work.
1: Well, that that would work, then. But obviously, I think it would also work as well if if they said, for example, hands into the play of the ball is is a penalty. But. Marcus not square is a penalty, but holding Down is is a. Set back That's to when off. you get the play but, the one, yeah, yeah. But, but teams will if if you're a team and you're two points in front and you you've got you're defending and the teams coming at you, you're gonna roll down because you know oh they're only gonna get another set of six and there's only a minute left now anyway or well, there's only thirty seconds left now, so so you're just all down. Then there's 15 seconds left. All right, yeah, you, they've, they've got about six, but there's 15 seconds left. I, I just think it takes away the, the, a, a team willing to. I, I don't know. I think it just takes away a choice from the team. You know, you know what I mean? Like I, I just don't agree with it, Dan. I just, I just feel like it, it's just a bizarre rule. It, it, it's, it's not. It's consistency. You can't moan about that no more if, if that rule is brought in over the Super League. I just I know it it speeds the game up and stuff like that, but I just think it's taking the choice away from teams that I want to kick to touch. Of, I I don't want to set a new set six. I want to get it twenty yards downfield first. If we drop the ball twenty yards downfield, it alright. It is what it is. But I'd rather drop the ball forty yards away from me from my own try line than ten yards away from the own try line. If you get what I mean. Like where I said before, you could wave it back to, back to one, and you own ten, and then you drop the ball in the next set. Yeah, you could drop the ball in the next set if you kick the touch, but at least it's twenty yards away. Yeah, from your exactly. own line. you're
0: Further off the field. Yeah. No, yeah, I'm with you. I think. So for me, I think the initiative good. It just might need a couple of tweaks.
1: For me, it's it's an no. <laughs> all. It's just it's just an all for me. <laughs> it is. It's just. I don't know. It it might win me down one day. Like. The captain's challenge. I, I think when that first got brought in, I thought, "Wow, what is this?" And then uh, I think it could work with a few tweaks to uh, the captain's challenge. But this real mate, I just think it. It's, yeah, it's just I think just to, to
0: touch on the captain's challenge very, uh, captain's challenge very quickly. Sorry. The one thing that sort of stood out for me was I remember the Ashley series last year, and, and obviously Ben Stokes had that innings. Um, but the I think pff, n- n- well, when we still required nine runs, I think it was um, they essentially got Ben Stokes out. But because they'd already used the challenge, um, they couldn't argue. And and obviously the, the, because of that, because they'd used the challenge, and used it wrong, no one blamed the, the umpire because you know the Aussies had the chance and, and wasted it. So I think the good thing about the captain's
1: challenge is it puts the emphasis on the player rather than the umpire. But um, that it's, seems to let's work. just touch up then obviously Dan, you're a fan of this rule then what, what obviously the NRL brought in. Uh, we play Wigan in the grand final and we're, <laughs> we're getting beat by one point and we get yeah. a penalty 30 yards out with 10 seconds on the clock and Ben fell. wears back to one instead of giving the penalty. Would you still be a fan of this rule? Because <laughs> no, I'll tell you what, mate, <laughs> I think I, I, I wouldn't myself, and, and I think that's what you will get as well though Dan. Yeah. will you get you know what I mean will, will, would you get that there's 10 seconds left in the game and the team's getting beat by points. oh well I'll tell you what I'll give back to one of you <laughs> is that just to spice the game up a bit and
0: sure, like, get talking about referee the referees
1: the you know? so, to do that man, sure. I wouldn't put it past him I wouldn't put it past him don't forget, it's the it's the Phil Ben it's the Ben Faila show. So, <laughs> I, I, the grand the the grand final in January next year, Wigan versus Saints. They're going to beat by one point, and Ben Thaler wears back to one instead of giving Saints the penalty. God, imagine, imagine, and obviously we touched up there about the grand final back in January. Damn! Uh, wow, when 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 we spoke about this Dumb. this weekend, that's <laughs> Wow, imagine.
0: Yeah. There'll be players that won't play in the Grand Final because they have been rested for Round 1,
1: I'm telling you. Well, there'll be players who don't play in the... Where do your contract end? Luke Thompson may <laughs> just say at Saints. <laughs> where, but where does the contracts end, Dan? Because obviously the, the NRL starts in March. So if Super League do follow that one where the Grand Final's in January, and obviously your season starts on the 31st of January, so whenever they, they said mental. the grand final is. It's mental. That's what do I mean, mate? It, it, Man. Like we've got a grand final this week, dust ourselves down. We've got round uh, one next week. Yeah, September. exactly. Oh, hold on a minute, I've just played the grand final.
0: There'll be players getting injured in pre-season felonies that can't play the grand final. It's just... No, you can't. It, 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 De- December, I, I think, December 1, so the 1st of December, anything after that is
1: no go. No go. Can't do it. Any Anything, anything... After this season, then it is not. its no it has got to be it, the grand final's Got to be played in two thousand and twenty, not January two thousand and twenty-one. Yeah. What 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 happens then with your champions? Obviously, saying oh well, we won it in January two thousand and twenty-one, and then Wigan win it in October two thousand and twenty-one. <laughs> <laughs> what, what? That's happened? a change of flags,
0: wouldn't
1: he? I just, I don't, well, the, the, is Wigan's class as two thousand and twenty-two? I don't know, mate. I just Wigan won't win a grand think, final. Come on. Oh, I've got one <laughs> should, should we be a bit more realistic? Yeah, exactly. Come on, mate. <laughs> I just, I just feel like the January grand final is, nah. No, I agree. But like really well, awesome.
0: anything after December first, for me, is you know, it, it's the year after. Then you know, even World Cup finals. People, you know, I remember the, the World Cup final was December the second. Last time we had a World Cup final, and the players said that they had no turnaround, and and, and people were missing the first sort of four or five weeks of pre-season because they were still on their off-season and, and stuff like that. So, to to imagine a, a grand final in, in mid-January is just... It, I've no issue with winter rugby. It's the the knock-on effect it has. And if it weren't a World Cup season next year, you could get away with it. Because if it weren't a World Cup season next year, you'd start the season in mid-March, you'd run that through till December, then the one after that, you'd go February to November and you'd gradually wean it back. But the problem is you've got a World Cup next year where all players have to be ready come October 15th or whatever it is for that World Cup and they have to be in prime condition not just finish the season they have to be in prime condition so they have to have a a week or two at minimum off before that because as an English English fan we're going to be there or thereabouts next year in that World Cup and what I don't want to see is players that miss the back end of next season because they're ready for the World Cup or players that have to make the choice no, do we, do we play in the playoffs or do we play in the World Cup? Because that just dilutes the the spectacle of, of the World Cup, doesn't
1: it? Uh, I just don't see it. Dan, as uh, January January grand final just doesn't go off me. And as I keep saying, I think anything beyond this year, then if before so before it restarts, then, if they look at resuming the season and they can't fit the Challenge Cup final and the grand final in, then scrap the Towns Cup final. But then if you yeah. can't fit the grand final in as well, we'll scrap the season. Or yeah. if you yeah. finish top, you get, you get the Super League to Because you, there's no way you can this season just gradually go on and on and on. In the end, well, we're going to turn around and say if it doesn't restart in August, or we'll, we'll have the grand final in March 2021. Is it going to be that then? And you think, hold on a minute, but 2021 season starts in January. What halfway through a season, and we played a grand final for last season. I just it's bizarre, mate. And I think it is for me, I'd, I'd scrap the Challenge Cup final, which frees a lot of uh, a lot of room up straight away. 100%, Magic weekend, 100%. there's no need to play that now. I don't think Magic weekend. I think no, I agree. That. play the catch up fixtures and the season, and away you go.
0: That's it. No, bang on. For me, you, you know, you get rid of the um. But for the NRL, have absolutely nailed it. You get rid of the extra rounds that you don't need. They're only playing 20 rounds this year. um, And then it leaves, you know, October 25th, they're done. And it leaves room for if you want to do a bit of rep rugby, you've got time. And then everyone finishes at a normal time. And next year, you pick up again with a full season. That's what we've got to be doing. That's what we've got to be looking at. If that means that, you know, on August the 1st, you only play until. You know, November the 15th is your general, you know, the, the Super League season. And it means you only get 22 rounds in or 20 rounds in, wherever it may be. So be it. You have a grand final or top, you know, whoever finishes top wins, wherever it may be this year. You then have a, a Lancashire for Yorkshire or an England v Exiles or an England v Wales Island, wherever it may be. And then next year we go again. And, 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 and that's what it is. It's, you know, and we can't play it in January for the sake of getting it done. It, it, done, it doesn't make sense.
1: End of day, as, as a player, and obviously, you, when you do your pre-seasons and stuff, every team in the Super League, their goal is to be champions at the end of that year. So, obviously, if, if you're, the and you're playing your perfect sense, your goal at the beginning of that year is to go out and win that grand final in October. Not to play, not look forward to playing Wigan four times a year in the loot fixtures. So, the loot fixtures, exactly. just get rid. Don't get me wrong, I'm not saying players don't set the goal to go and win the Challenge Cup because I think as professional players they want to win everything that there's to win but I think if if a player had to choose between the Challenge Cup and the Grand Final in my eyes if I was a player I, I would choose the Grand Final because the yeah. champions are here and it, it, it's a lot of bragging. So I just think just get rid of the Challenge Cup for one season and let, let's, let's have a big year next year let's have the Magic Weekend and the Challenge Cup and Bring the loot fi- fi- fixtures back next year, keep keep them out of the game.
0: Yeah, no, I agree with you, mate. And and obviously you know this episode, you know, we're doing things a bit different. So um we've covered everything that we, we needed to there with the, the men's rugby. Um but we've actually got two guests coming up to do with the women's rugby. So we've got obviously St Helens and an England fullback Jordy Cunningham, um, and a bit different. We've got Australian Gillaroo's. Roos. Assistant coach Jamie Fiena, who's got a lot to do with um, the Australian pathway. He's also to do with the, the men's Roosters team as well. Um, but yeah, Josh, just a bit about the, the women's game uh, in terms of how that's progressing. It's going really well,
1: isn't it, mate? It, it's come on in leaps and bounds, Dan. It's come on from no one talking about it really. And so now it's the women's are on first. Or what time did the women's kick off? Should, should we go and catch the second half of the women? And no offence, but I'd say five years ago, Dan, if if someone mentioned or the women's game kicks off at same, should we go and catch the second half? I think, no, let's have another couple of pints. But we've done it ourselves last season where, should we go and catch the second half of the women's game? And off we go to catch the second half or even watch the full game of the women's game. I'm happy for the women's game to come on the way it has, Dan. I just hope it carries on pushing and pushing and pushing because... There's no difference between the men's game and the women's game. Okay, the men's game is probably more physical, of course, but it, it's still physical for the women in, in the way their bodies are and stuff like that. I just I'm happy to see it and I hope to see more televised game of the women's game as well. Not not our league app, but I mean I mean like Sky Sport. let let's, sky. let's hopefully sky. Even if it's it's two a month, Dan. It, it's something, you know what I mean? It, it, look at the football, for example. The women's game now, it, it's getting bigger and bigger. and That's because it's shown on Sky. So, it also will attract young girls as well and maybe attract women who are, who are obviously at the age where they want to play rugby and stuff like that. And It might start to build a foundation on the women's game and hopefully one day, Dan, it, it, it could be bigger than the men's game.
0: Fingers crossed, mate. <laughs> uh, one thing I would say is, so my um, so my first sort of encounter in the women's game was that was actually with my, my wife now, Adele. She um, she played when I first met her for Crossfield in in, in Warrington. and and obviously Gemma, who we both know as well. She played down there as well. And um, but one thing that sort of so I think in the second year that I was with Adele, the the, the coach had sort of started to. Um, I think it was at university, something. So we couldn't make some some sessions, and I was asked to do a bit of coaching. Now, m- my time in the women's game coaching was literally just holding a tackle bag and and telling you know which players to to hit the tackle bag. It weren't coaching as such. Whereas now, you know, when, when we speak to Jordi in a bit, she'll tell you that you know the coaching they get is it's professional. It really isn't, and obviously they've got physios and and all the stuff that you'd expect to see in the men's game. And the game in itself has just progressed massively and. That that's good to see. You know, in, they deserve better than what they was getting. When, you know, when they had you know, me coaching.
1: In, in, in ten years' time, Dan, I can imagine it was being in the Wetherspoon saying, "The men's game second half kicking off. Too. Should we go and catch the second half of the men's game? <laughs> nah, let's have another pint. The women's game only kicks off, right? and, and and I just hope it, it just keeps getting bigger and bigger. Dan, you know what I mean? And, and, I, fashion, I, I, it, and yeah. I don't want I don't want it to be oh, it's a to stopgap. Let, let's throw the women's game on just. Just for the stock. No, let, let, let's throw the women's game onto a tract. Let's try and get a contract with Sky. And I just, I, I really want it to succeed because if that succeeds, Rugby League gets bigger. The, the word for women to get into Rugby League gets bigger. And before you know it, Dan, we've got two massive sides, two massive parts of the game with men's part big and the women's part big. So it, it, it's a good thing for Rugby League in general. I just thought the salary cap 100%. is, is
0: £1.7 <laughs> 100%, mate. I, I agree. I mean, one thing I touch on with Jordi in this is there's a clip from the um, the Nines tournament last year where obviously the, you know, the, the men's and the women's teams were sort of um, not against each other as such, but played in the same competition. Um, and the biggest clip from anything from that non- Nines tournament is the England winger uh, Kelsey Gentles? I think Jordy said her name was. Um, tracking back an Australian player, and she she gets to just before the line, and it's brilliant. It, it's it, it's stuff like that'll obviously sell the game, and you know it doesn't need selling. It's a it's a great sport in its own right, and um, know, I just thought people start to buy into it a bit.
1: And the, the bigger it gets done, the more competitive it'll get. Obviously, at the moment it's your Saints, your Wigan, your Leeds, and your Castleford, and obviously yeah, yeah. I, you, you've got Tara Stanley who's at Castle for that obviously Tara played with, with Gemma Stanley and did, I don't know if she played with Adele did she play with Adele Dan Hall or... yeah she did yeah, and, yeah. Um, she was in
0: that crossfield I you? have
1: always rated Tara the, the left step Tara's got I don't think she can step off a right foot <laughs> but the left step Tara's got is she need right like, you, mate, no, mate, no mate no, there's no way and you look at players like Tara <laughs> and you think yeah serious talent you look at Jody Cunningham serious talent and Naomi Williams, serious talent and you, you, hopefully it starts to get spread about the different teams eventually and it's more competitive then.
0: Yeah, 100%. Just one quick story, there's a player um, player stand-off for St. Ellen's at the minute, she was in that Crossfields team, Zoe Harris.
1: Zoe, yeah, um, Zoe mate. yeah.
0: yeah. What, what a player. The school captain now. Remember, mate, unbelievable, unbelievable. I've never seen Pound for pound, the best tackler since men or women. Unbelievable! The tackling technique was not good. Not
1: good of anything. We
0: played a game at Feversham. Unbelievable! Honestly, it's so good. And she can play as well with the ball. She's brilliant. We played a game at Um and I can't remember if it was. Um, she was a good player for Feverston, I can't remember her name, but she's kicked the ball, mate, and it's bounced off Zoe's head, knocked her clean out. Not, I'm not, <laughs> and I mean, knocked her out. This is probably what 2014, 13 it would have been, but literally knocked her out, um, and she she came off and obviously there was no no con- concussion bills or anything like that back on. She came off the sideline for five minutes, spray water in the face, and she went back on. Mate, Shani Crowell, you know you, you know yeah, Shani yeah, yourself, yeah, just so tough and you know, I, I was shit scared I don't know what <laughs> girls she was playing against, but I was shit Some of
1: them girls, um, and
0: you think Naomi, Naomi Williams she used to play at least forward. And yeah, again, like, really tough. But you know, she's now playing centre, and you know, a great player in her own right as well. And, and 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 so many players that I can't even, you know, like Laura Burke. I remember Laura Burke was a, a front row, but you know, she kicking drop goals and everything. They are just like the it's unbelievable it's, talent in some of these women. It's and, like it's like Gemma who actually brilliant.
1: comes to rugby Rivers, Jam Stanley, and. Yeah. Another one now who pff, it would be setting it alight if she was still playing. 100%. 100%. 100%. Percent yeah. And yeah. I think Erin Zoe at it, Saints, uh, six and seven, I think, wow. I, I I think off the back of that, you've got your Jody, you've got your Naomi, you've got your Shani, and it, it, It'd be good to see. But I, I just, the best the best one for me, Danny, is Tara. Just as, as a lad, I think if Tara ran at me and done a left foot step, I'd I'd probably just fall over really because it's that lethal of a left foot step. and You've got no chance to get a yeah. No chance to get. Yeah. Game.
0: No. bang on. She can kick a goal as well. Oh well, well it's oh,
1: yeah. But the coach, they had the coach.
0: But that's it. To be fair, like the, not not just that team, but like there was that team of players, but some of the teams they come up against, and you know, you go up to Bradford and you, I think I think one game we had nine players going up to Bradford who were you know full of some I think Rihanna Marshall played and people out some great players who, who are still playing in the professional game now but they had like nine players and, and they wouldn't stop me so if I, if I was a player playing with nine players I I I, 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 I wouldn't even care mate but for a player to girls, they, they dug in deep and they made a real effort of it and you know whilst they got battered they still you know the camaraderie between, you know, not just the players that were in crossfields, but both teams, like, both teams, they, you know, they cracked on, they had a laugh, and it's a credit to the game. It's a brilliant sport, mate. Honestly, it's, it's anyone who's, if if if, if, you're, if you're a girl listening to this and you're interested in, in, in playing rugby, go and give it a go. It's, It really is fantastic. And, and obviously, if you're, you know, a man, woman, girl, boy, wherever you are, if you get the chance to go and watch the games, I'm sure Josh should agree, go and watch it. I yeah, would recommend
1: it. 100% go and watch it. And if you are a girl listening to this, don't he done, will not be courts, and yeah, you. you will be coached by professionals now. <laughs> as, as the game's gone on, in in heaps and bounds and Stan was holding tackle bags, summoning to hit the bag. <laughs> Isn't that right, Dan?
0: <laughs> yeah, that's right, mate. Yeah.
1: That's
0: right. And obviously, you know, again, you know, we're, we're going to jump over to Jordy now, but um, you know, we'll come back to you shortly and introduce you to. To Jamie Feeney as well, who, who, who's obviously come at it from a different angle. So we you played the men's game, played with Cameron Smith and people like that. Um, but yeah, we'll go over to Jordan now if that's okay, John. Yeah,
1: that's
0: fine with me. And we'll uh... so as we mentioned, we've got um, Jamie Feeney coming up. He's the Australian Gillaroo's assistant coach. But we're now lucky to be joined by St Helens fullback and England fullback Jordy Cunningham Yeah,
3: Jordy, very well, you?
0: thank you. Yeah, good to be on. Good good yeah how's the
3: lockdown uh, not too bad uh, Can still work from home so i'm lucky in that respect and then just trying to fit some fitness at work and training in as and when i can it's a shame that you know we don't have access to gyms at the minute we were getting on really well with pre-season i felt like i was just sort of hitting my pbs with everything but i'm sure we'll get back to normal um, as soon as we are able to train again we'll get back to full fitness and ready to go
0: Definitely. I mean, obviously, I was going to mention this later on, but as you just said it, there you've got the, you know, your current work is with the World League World Cup. Just tell us a bit about your your job. Yeah, at the so, uh,
3: burgeoning on eighteen months now, I've worked for the World Cup full time. So I work across the legacy program, which we've got. So it's a, it's like a really extensive program, um, ranging across everything. Really, everything you can think of. Most major sporting events have a legacy program that is based around participation and, and increasing participation across the sport and yes that is that's part of it but it's it's very much not the main focus for us it's about having that positive impact in the local communities so uh, my role is the community engagement lead so everything from uh, mental fitness work through to education quiet, dance all sorts of uh, exciting projects so definitely not boring and of really exciting work that um and different projects that we've got going on so i can't wait to sort of get back to normal so we can get some of those projects up and going
0: and you mentioned you're you're working from home at the minute How are you finding that it's a bit diff- bit different I'm, I'm assuming especially when you're you're working in community yeah it is different
3: luckily for us we we're far enough out from the tournament so that a lot of the things that we're doing are still in that sort of planning and strategic phase um, which means it, it gives yeah. us more time to sort of put that together. Um, collaborating with people is obviously a little bit more difficult, but, you know, the likes of Zoom and, and Teams means that we've, we've still been able to sort of push along quite nicely. And, yeah, I think if this was 12 months on, we'd be, we'd be pretty worried and we'd be struggling with uh, some yeah. of the work that we'd be trying to do. But at the minute, yeah, it's not too bad and, and it's all going as well as it can do. There's a lot of people in, in much worse situations than myself and, and the World Cup team as a whole. So, yeah, we're counting ourselves lucky at the minute.
0: Great stuff. So, just to go back to, you, obviously, yourself personally, Jodie, you know, the women's game, you know, you're 27 Oh, now, 28
3: I now. I wish I was 27. 28.
0: <laughs> was so Sorry. <laughs> so, obviously, you know, when you're growing up, the women's game is is nowhere near as, as sort of present as it is now. How did you actually get involved in the game as a as a so youngster? It feels
3: like fate now, really. I always think that when I look back as to how I sort of got involved with the game, because the year I started secondary school was uh, the year they started the Champion Schools tournament for girls. So it was the first year they ran it for the girls. I wasn't from a rugby league family, despite being from Warrington, so a big rugby league town. None of my family really followed or yeah. played rugby league. So it just wasn't something I was really aware of. Um, but my best friend uh, from high school, she Emily Rudge, who I play with at Saints and at England now, she was massively into to a rugby league. She'd played with the boys through primary school and she was really keen on us setting up a girls team. And I was always been sporty. I'd done football, gymnastics, cross country, netball, you name it, I'd, you know I'd done it. So she was like, "Come on, give rugby league a go." And it, to be honest, the thought of running at people full pelt and being hit really hard did not <laughs> seem to appealing to me at the time. And um, the first year, actually, <laughs> I, I, I didn't get involved. I didn't do it, but I just felt so left out. And homie mates were having a great time doing this new sport. So I decided to give it a go the next uh, the next year. They did it. So my second year of school, and we went on and we were four times national champions at school level, and that. That was it. As soon as I had a ball in my hand, made my first tackle, did my first run, I was completely hooked and uh, never looked back since.
0: So that that sort of school. So how did you get from you know playing in school to you know as you were today at St Helen's? What sort of your um, career path? so
3: initially it was just obviously playing at school and it, there wasn't as enough games, especially not for the girls because obviously this at the time there wasn't that many uh, schools that played the game so we didn't get that many games other than through the the schools tournament and so I wanted to play outside of school and Emily played for Rochdale so it was about Emily's obviously neither of us drove too young so Emily's dad used to drive us um, every Wednesday night to training uh, and I think I played maybe one or two games and we said this is staff that were traveling so far and this girls team was really good and more girls wanted to play outside so we made Warrington girls um we then ended up being really successful as Warrington girls we ended up national champions there um and Warrington had not affiliated to the to the Super League team but Warrington had a women's side um and as soon as I was uh, turned 16 that was it then I wanted to train with the open age team uh went down there really enjoyed uh, the new challenge really of, of being in open age rugby and through that they started doing some trials for, um they called it super fours at the time, so everybody who wanted to trial for the, the sort of England training squad could go down They split you into four different teams um, and basically you played across, I think we had two weeks worth of training and then they played sort of a round robin type series and I got picked up for the England squad through that at 17 and made my debut in France at the July, um, so yeah July 2019 was my debut for England and I, you know fingers crossed I've, I've been really lucky through my journey, I've, I've stayed part of that England squad ever since so I'm 12, 11 years now, uh, 11 years as part of the England squad um, and yeah I just count myself lucky every time there's a, a reselection that I'm still part of it because there's not a greater feeling really than pulling on you know that international jersey and wearing the england badge
0: 100 percent. and obviously you mentioned there just one thing that stands out is um i think you said you were 16 when you were playing yeah. women's rugby is yeah that, yeah, fully open open age, age and, yeah and
3: it was daunting at the time don't get me wrong Garrett. if you, you know <laughs> I, I used to say if, if i didn't absolutely love rugby league i would have probably quit but just because it's so daunting at 16 when you're yeah. playing with you know some of the women were 30 odd years old That that's you know in terms of your life experience and and probably how loud or confident you are it's it's really difficult if you're not you know absolutely committed to the sport and i was lucky that um emily and and one of my other friends who are playing at st helen's lizzie gladman we all went up at the same time. So as soon as we turned 16, we all went to Open Age. So we had that little bit of support around us that we weren't doing it on our own. But I can imagine if you, if you didn't have that support, it'd be so easy to drop out, which is great that they're now looking to introduce. And a few of the teams, a few of the Super League teams have now got sort of under-19s or under-18s type set up for, for the girls to allow that little bit of transition. So that it is a more comfortable step going from the, the girls' game into the women's game.
0: Oh, Joe! You know, I was just going to say that. Is there a, a, a sort of a movement to gradually introduce that sort of youth professional setup? Which I'm, I'm glad you yeah, said. Yeah, that's there, what there they're isn't.
3: looking at. And, and, yeah, and, and know, I suppose sure it's set... hard because you've got to have the player pool to be able to to have enough players in that age group to have, you know, for it to realistically be something to invest in. Um so yeah. some of the clubs yeah. have done it. Leeds have done it really successfully. So they've got a uh, quality under nineteen set up um and a lot of those girls push up into the open age setup much sooner than 19 um because they're able to do so they're comfortable to do that and and they're physically ready to do it but obviously there's still that 19 set up there for any girls not quite ready to make that jump who are constantly getting really good uh, coaching and um, getting used to being part of the team getting used to being around the open age players as well um Saints, we've developed one. So we don't quite have the numbers that Leeds have got. But again, it's just looking at developing those 16 year old girls as they're coming up to make sure they stay part of the game and they're getting that regular training. I think Wigan had one. I'm not too sure if they've still got one. There's a couple of teams that, that started to look at that under 19 setup. So I think as we're seeing the player numbers grow, which we are doing off the back of the Super League, um, the Women's Super League launch, hopefully there'll be more and more teams that'll introduce that sort of 19 setup.
0: Definitely, and you know, like you said, there, I think that's really important that you know there is that natural progression for for young girls that you know want to get into the game. Um, so obviously, you're now at St. Helens now, five, six years ago, the you know the women's super league wasn't a thing. Um, I think you came from that heath in the end, yeah, yeah, that uh, right?
3: Fatal heath, yeah. And that was yeah. when we were at Warrington. Um, we just didn't have a, after we'd sort of gone to open age, there wasn't a younger girls' team to feed into the the women's team. And we didn't really have a base. We didn't have anywhere to, to properly train. Um, so we, as a collective, really went to Thatter Week and they were fantastic with us because they had the the sort of under-12s to under-16s girls' teams, but didn't have an open age. So they needed the open age. We needed the youth. And, and it was just a great... sort. It was a great movement yeah. for both of us. And we had lots of successful years there. And then, yeah, once the Women's Super League started, a lot of the players then from that... Um, that O'Heath side moved over to st helens there's some at wigan and warrington so yeah it was it was really great talent there and i've got such great great memories from my, my time at sathelheath
0: and and obviously the difference between Obviously, what you had at that week was great, but the difference between what you had and, and what you've now got at St. Helens, what, what are the, ma- the main things that stand out there for you, Jodie, in terms of the, the professionalism that you've now got compared to what you've For you used me to
3: personally, have? I think the most important thing that we get now is is that that medical support. Um, you know, rugby league, everybody who's involved knows how tough of a game it is, and, it, and it's really physically demanding. And if you're not in the right shape and you don't have the right support, then, you know, injuries can happen and, and you're never going to never going to reach your potential if you don't have that support around you um you know we used to have one of the dads volunteered as a first aider at games and that was pretty much all we had when we were at saddle heath realistically it wasn't enough but there just wasn't the the funding and logistics to be able to have a physio present at at every game whereas now um with that link with the super league club clubs comes that professionalism from that background support staff so you know, we had support from, um in the first year, we had support from the academy physio um, and he would be there at every game. So there was never a game where we wouldn't have a physio present. There's now, we have our own physio who turns up to training sessions um, and will be with us at every game. So we have that one-on-one support every time we've got a strength conditioner to make sure we're pre abbing and we're in the best shape possible to prevent any injuries from happening happening in the first place. And all of that support for me I think as a player is it's just priceless because it means that we can be the best athletes we can be and that you can play in the knowledge that you've got the right support around you if anything touch wood um, you don't want anything to go wrong but it's, I think it's inevitable with the sport we play that there will be injuries at times you, that you're confident that you've got that support around you to deal with it if it does happen
0: Definitely and obviously you mentioned there with injuries and stuff now I think it was only what 12, 18 months ago, you had quite a severe
3: injury. Yeah, self. and, and it's 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 interesting, yeah. really, because when I talk about the, the differences, it was sort of halfway across as we made that change where I experienced both. So I, I snapped my ACL. It was actually in the May of 2017. It's uh, just over three years now than when I initially did the injury. Um, and I did that playing for Thato Heath. And that was the last season which it was um, non-Super League, and then it went over to be Super League. So... I didn't get the operation and trained because it was a World Cup year um, and I was just desperate to get to the World Cup. So I then didn't have the operation until the uh, back end of of 2017. So it was December the 18th, it was, I remember the date. (laughs) Uh, December the 18th, 2017, which put me out then of the first Super League season. But Saints were fantastic with me. And despite knowing that I probably won't play at all that season, they give me all the support I needed the one-on-one support I had physio-wise was outstanding and I you know I was in I just was so desperate to get back playing and I needed that guidance as to what the right thing was to do because I think if it had been left to my own devices I would have come back too soon and I'd have had either a recurring injury of the same kind or I'd have done something else because my body wouldn't have been ready Um. so yeah the support I got was absolutely fantastic and I feel so lucky that it in a way, it all happened at the right time to make sure I did get that support, and I came back stronger, uh, faster, and just probably much more aware and less um, less ignorant to the fact of how important it is to look after your body as well. So yeah, now I try and do everything I can really to make sure I don't get a bad injury again. But some of it is—it's just luck, really, isn't it? And you just all you can do is put yourself in the best position to not get injured and, and hope for the best. <laughs>
0: That's it, yeah. Um, now, one thing I wanted to come to is obviously, you know, you're on the World Cup panel, but you, you know, fingers crossed, you're also going to be playing in that World Cup as well. Um I think there's is, is there eight teams in the Women's Super League now with Warrington and uh, I think it's got it to ten exactly? now,
3: so it was We're eight. Off. Yeah, it's, it was eight. It's oh, is it ten? ten? right? Okay. Um. So yeah, it's a shame that we haven't we haven't had a chance to sort of get going with the season yet because it would have been interesting, you know, playing against some new teams. And I know Warrington. Um, have put so much investment into their women's team and I think from from bits of games that I've seen sort of pre-season and and last year they've got a lot of good quality players and they could have done really well in the in the league this year so hopefully we get back playing in some form and and we can see how how the new teams go.
0: But well, one of them you'd have played with was it Roxy Murdoch? That's yeah, Ben Murdoch. So yeah,
3: was Roxy played wife, with.
0: It, I think so. Obviously, she she went from centre on to one yeah. of them, didn't she? So
3: trust me, the one positive probably of the league not starting is that I don't have to tackle Roxy because <laughs> <laughs> she runs <laughs> like Ben does. She's an absolute machine. Um, right. Really, really clever player as well. Really clued up. Um, great rugby brain. She could she could adapt to any position really, but I think she's most dangerous when she's playing in that sort of second row position. Um yeah, she was yeah. she was so good for us uh, on that left edge. She linked up really well with with our halfback, um, Faye Gaskin, and they they literally tore up that edge and scored so many tries off the back of it. So yeah, I'm sure she'll be an absolute nightmare to handle whenever we do get to play against her. <laughs>
0: And and obviously you know for, so from Saint Ellen's point of view you've got you've just got Gemma Walsh and is it Amy yeah Park yeah also we, just we
3: hot off the press that one so really recently we signed Amy uh, Gemma came to us you know at the start of pre season so we've had a full pre season with with Gemma uh, training with us we've not obviously not had any training sessions with Amy as of yet but both like real quality signings I've played. Uh, alongside both of them at England. I've actually played at club with Gemma previously. She did a couple of seasons at, at Thato Heath um and Warrington. So, so I know how, how they both play and just really excited to to get on a field with them both.
0: And is that something that you think can, can happen this year? Obviously, there's a lot of talk of the men's game around August the 1st. What, what's the sort of... A press or the word around the women's game in terms of when I that can
3: come back. Obviously, date wise, it's a little more skeptical as to when when it might be for the women. But I'm absolutely confident there will be some form of women's super league this year. It's probably going to look differently. They might be, it might be a shorter version of, yeah. of what we were going to do. I'm not too sure exactly how they're going to split um, and and do the league. But I I am confident that it will happen. I know. You know We work closely with the RFL as as part of the World Cup and the women's game is very much at the forefront of of their planning and they want to make sure that they do the best um, for all the women involved and in particular for the England women's side as well. We need to have games under our belt. We need to um, make sure we're ready to go into next season and and have the best season we can do leading up to to the World Cup. So it's absolutely the forefront and as soon as they're able to get us back training and, and therefore playing I'm sure they will do so I'm hoping in the next few weeks we'll find out a little bit more and and we can get a date in mind so we can uh, get training again and, and just get ready to play I'm just desperate I felt like Saints had honestly it's the best pre-season I've ever had um across my whole career we were just so ready skill-wise we'd hammered all the all the core skills and um, we we're really working with each other well our strength and conditioner had absolutely killed us during pre season, the amount of running we'd been doing. So everybody looked fitter, um, fitter, stronger, and just really, really crisp and ready to go. We had um a lot of girls involved in the Origin series. We actually managed to play just before we went into lockdown. Um and I think all the Saints girls did really well, particularly defensively. I think they looked really strong, controlled tackles really well. Uh with winning the floor and slowing the play of the ball down, which is a lot of the work we'd We'd done in pre-season with our coach um Derek Hardman. So yeah, I was I was really confident actually. And especially with some of the sign-ins, I th- I think we were the team to beat this year and, and I think others would agree. So it's just a shame we've not managed to actually get out there and show it yet.
0: Fingers crossed you can. And obviously that's something I wanted to come to. So the last couple of years, um... You sort of followed the the men's trajectory of getting to semi finals, looking really good and getting beat. How's that sort of? A
3: thing? I mean, it's a I killer, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> um, yeah, because I, I, I <laughs> honestly feel like we were good enough last year. You know, we, we could have easily come away with some silverware last year, and, and we were our own worst enemy in, in the semi finals. We had some key people missing, uh, particularly in the Challenge Cup semi final. Um, so there was a lot of people playing out of positions, which did affect us slightly. Um, but, you know, the the best team won in both games. Leeds played really well and turned up and and literally just clinched it in the last few minutes of each game. We, we spoke a lot about making sure that when it gets to sort of that 60-minute mark that we don't switch off. I don't think it's a matter of fitness because we, we are a really fit team. We work really hard at that. I think it's more about sort of concentration levels and, and maybe just confidence when it gets into sort of the back end of a game and it's a little bit tight that we can we can hold on and, and keep, get the victory really but you know we've worked a lot on it we've worked a lot on making sure um, when we're doing our training that we do game scenario looking at right okay it's this score there's this many minutes to go what do you do what's your next play Um looking at tactics doing a lot of video analysis so yeah it, I mean it hurts and and it's disappointing when we look back but I think we'll learn from it and Hopefully, we'll get ourselves into uh, a couple of semi finals again in the near future and be able to uh, actually finish out the game and get the win.
0: Fingers crossed again. And and obviously, a a couple of things you mentioned there. So, you want to get back to the the sort of semi final stage minimum, really. Who's sort of some players and, well, teams, first of all, but some players specifically that you think, you know, as as a game we've got to sort of advertising, you know, English would be. English Women's Rugby League to, to people who maybe There's don't watch. There's so it yet.
3: many players, and what's exciting is the amount of players that have found their way into the England squad or, or have just stood out in big games last year. That, if I'm honest, starting the season, I, I wouldn't have known who they were, but through their playing, really stood out and played well above what you would expect, especially for the age of some of the girls. Leeds have done really well, I think, with recruiting. And developing really young talent so they've got uh, a few young girls um Francesca Goldthorpe who she's played on the wing quite a bit she's just pushed away into the England squad she was fantastic for them both semi-finals and, and in the finals as well uh since playing and training with her at England you know she's got such speed she's really good under the high ball she's you know she's quite quiet or she seems at, at England training but I'm sure she's a personality that and somebody who's going to be part of the England squad hopefully for years to come and do really well in the World Cup next year um for me Tara Stanley is quality she's one of my one of my close friends you know roomy at England um and played with at O'Heath, Heath but she's a fullback at Castleford Tigers um and she's so committed she's such a great athlete and similar to me really when she first sort of came into the open age setup, she was she won't mind me saying this she was quite skinny and despite having loads of natural ability she was really fast could step and make you look stupid she'd she'd make people fall over regularly with the step that she had she didn't she wasn't as robust as she needed to be um so when you did actually eventually get get hold of her she was easy to take down whereas she's worked so hard on developing her athletic ability and now she's really strong um She's really strong, she's really powerful, so that when she does make contact, she often breaks it as well. And she's somebody I think he'll play a really, really big part when it comes to the World Cup next year.
0: And and just one other thing as well. Sorry, um Jodie, before I come on to a couple of other things. Um the women's game in general. So obviously the the nines tournament that was yep. held in October, November last year, um the women's game was obviously incorporated within the men's tournament as well which I thought was brilliant. Um you've also had the the women's world cup last year in the football which seemed to take off quite a lot as well so women's rugby in general has, has sort of got a lot of trajectory. Yeah. You know in general at the minute. What do you think it needs to sort of push it to that next level and and one thing I'll come to specifically is there was um a game I think England played New Zealand. It might have been Australia, I'm not sure. And there was one of the um, opposition who made a break and the young uh, England winger from Castleford, I can't remember a name, um, trapped back and made a tackle and 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 yeah, for a yard short. I can't remember a name, but... That, that, <laughs> that, 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 that's the yep. one, yeah, sorry. So that video went viral. Things like that obviously make a big difference, but what do you think the game can do to sort of really make a progression in, in, in making yeah, the women's I, game grow
3: the the nines uh having that sort of integrated with the men was great and for us girls you know it was for the first time ever you felt like a professional athlete when we were there Um it was the first time the women well england women were ever paid um so we were paid as athletes to to participate in that competition and there was prize money associated with yeah. it as well Um so that was just outstanding to be part of and i think having it integrated into the to the men's game with them being much shorter games in the nines it's much easier to do that and integrate it in between games and by doing that you expose the game to more spectators so people who would have gone to watch the men's game and obviously you stick around you're in the stadium all day they will have seen some of the women's games and realized that actually this is really great quality rugby league and you know the women's game is no different and it's something that you know they can enjoy and watch, and then next time there's a women's game going on, they might then choose to go and watch that um, as a as a spectacle on its own. And I think that's something. Hopefully, we can we can do more of in England. Um, I think we've had a lot of traction with the Women's Super League. Not only the fact that having a team associated with a well-known uh, club and, and brand, like with the likes of Saint Helens, Warrington, Wigan, Castleford, whoever it might be. You automatically have that fan base and interest because people care about that badge. Um, and that's given us so much traction, but particularly when we've had double headers. So, Leeds have, have done it quite a few times. Saints were fantastic with us. We got quite a few games on at the stadium where we'd play before the men. Um, and just naturally, you're getting so many more eyes on the game because there'll be uh, fans coming in early. Um, it's the same price ticket, so you're not paying any more to watch the women's games So they'll come early and watch us, and then after that, say, "You know what? This is great. Next time they're playing, I'm gonna, I'm gonna buy a ticket to watch the women." And I think the more we can do double headers or, or integrated games in, in one way or another, I, I just think the spectator base will continue to grow, particularly for for the young um the young players. There's so many young girls that have been down to our games because they're Mad Saints fans, and now their dreams can happen, and they can pull a Saint shirt on and and play at the Totally Wicked Stadium that's an actual possibility for young girls now where it never ever used to be you know when I was watching Warrington growing up I couldn't say that I was going to play at the stadium and wear that badge one day because it wasn't a possibility then so I think you know the more eyes we can get on the game that way the more traction it'll make so hopefully maybe we can do some sort of nines tournament um, a little bit like Magic Weekend but if we got something like that on with nines, I know some of the men have suggested similar things. Um, I think that would be a great spectacle for the game. And if you could get the men's game and the women's game there at the same time and alternate, uh, I think that would be fantastic. Um, yeah, re- really great.
0: 100%. 100% that my actual opinion for this, and that is something i thought about before, to be honest, Jodie. So, um, you know, from a men's point of view, you know, they spend quite a lot of time, you know, compl- not necessarily complaining, but um, making a, a stance in terms of the amount of games that they play. Now, obviously, from a women's point of view, your season was due to start yeah, I think it was late like March or early March, April, yeah. was it? Yeah. And how oh, many games do you play here? Really so.
3: <laughs> well, it was a new setup. So we were playing everybody <laughs> once. So that would have been nine games. And then we were having, yeah. then the season was splitting. So we would have then had another six games. So, you're talking 15 regular games with then, if you do, if you then get to sort of the final, semi final stage, you've then got another one plus however many games you'd then play in the Challenge Cup as well on top of that. So, you.
0: Right. So what, what I was thinking, and, and this is, again, just something I thought off the top of my head the other day, is that when Magic Weekend was due to uh, due to take place in Newcastle, on a Friday night before that, they normally have Newcastle Thunder playing. Now, a lot of fans who are going up for Magic Weekend go up on a Friday. Now, this isn't disrespecting Newcastle Thunder, but I think a lot of people would be more inclined to go and watch a women's game um, on that Friday night in the Newcastle Stadium. Um Maybe have a double header on on the Friday evening before Magic Weekend, uh, with the, the you know the best four teams so St Ellen's, Wigan, Leeds, Castleford, wherever it may be, and then on the Sunday or on the Saturday and Sunday, in between men's games so in between men's games, there's an average of a forty five minute sort of yeah. turnover between one game to the other. You can essentially hold on the Saturday and Sunday a Nines tournament with the same women's teams. Um, where you've got people, you know, people in that Magic Weekend event are not going to watch a game, go out, go back in. If there's an event taking place on that pitch, they're going to watch it. And I think, especially with a, a nine-a-side tournament, maybe just the top eight teams or wherever it may be, you're going to get people paying attention to the women's game and, and hopefully taking up on the back of that. But um, there's a lot of time in the Magic Weekend, and I've been to, you know, the last sort of six or seven on the you know, on the trot. And there's a lot of time in between each game where there's nothing happening on the pitch. And, Yes, there's little things, little community things, but to have a women's nines tournament, you could do two games between each men's game, and I think that's going to be the best way forward to Yeah, to I think that's that. a but fantastic again, that's idea, and
3: I think the women would love it at times. You know, it is difficult, and especially now, you know, you've got the Super League split with the RFL, so you've got multiple people involved in, in sorting fixtures out and, and making sure everything uh all ties together with the challenge Cup, the usual, um, the usual league games, and that sort of thing. But I think if you know if everyone can get their heads together and, and pull something like that, where at Magic Weekend you can integrate the women, and um, even if it is just like a nines competition where it's short games, so it doesn't it doesn't affect too much in terms of um, timing and scheduling and time on the pitch, because obviously that's always an issue, especially when we're using football stadiums and. Um, but, yeah, if you did yeah. it as a nines format, I think it would be perfect and it sort of ticks all the boxes and it's not too much of an overload of you've got an, a full 80-minute women's game. Actually, you know what, here's here's a seven minutes each way or whatever you might do, nine minutes each way. So it's just a quick 15, 20 minutes and it capture. you know, you might not capture the whole audience, but as you say, you've got so many people there and there are gaps in the day where if you could just fit a women's game in... And some of especially like you say you mentioned like the top four teams from last year. There's been some absolutely fantastic games. Our games with Leeds last year, you know, every single one I think yeah. was decided by a try. And we you know, in the league we had um we had one each and a draw. Um so, you know, it each of the games are really tight and there's really quality players on show. There's a lot of England players within those top few teams. I just think it'd be fantastic if we do something like that and get, get more eyes on on the game then then why not? And and if there's already you know, cast fans, Saints fans, Wigan fans, whoever it is, going down to Magic Weekend, then they'll be there and they'll cheer on the women's team because they love the club so much they don't care who's wearing the shirt, but they're wearing their shirts, so they'll cheer them on.
0: That's it. There's a natural affiliation there, isn't there? So, um, yeah. The other thing, so a couple of things I wanted to speak to about, obviously, just in the, the game in general. So. You know the men's game, and and naturally how you feel that you know sort of feed into the women's game as well. So, um, you mentioned before that you you know you watched the Parramatta Brisbane game this morning. That's six again, real in terms of you know a ruck infringement where they just sort of wave six to go. What what's your initial thoughts to that? Should we say, Jordy? What's your initial thoughts to?
3: I thought no penalty. Wow, but a quick six again. <laughs> That's what I thought. That was my first thought. Is They've yeah. had a break for a while and then they've gone and made that change and made them run more. <laughs> but um, no, I think it's I think it's fantastic. <laughs> it really seems to speed the game up. Um, it it stops the whole messing around in the rock and trying to slow things down intentionally because at times it's tactically probably the right thing to do. You don't mind if you give a penalty away because wherever you are on the pitch or the point in the game, the scoreboard it's the right call to actually mess around in the ruck a little bit, slow it down, and if you give a penalty away, then that's what happens. Whereas when you take that away, the rucks are just getting so much faster and, and people have to be stricter with themselves in, in, in that place. I mean, I can imagine there's more um, inter-team arguing because if somebody give a couple of them away, one after the other, and maybe do an extra couple of sets of six, I'd be pretty mad. <laughs> but yeah, as, a, as an overall, I think, yeah. I think as a viewer, I think it's fantastic.
0: I agree. Uh, one thing I thought it did is, you know, the best thing the referee could have done is what he did, to be honest. so the, I think the first two sets that Parramatta had, he, he pinged Brisbane for, for the Rook infringement. I don't think we actually heard a whistle, well, a, a set restart for yeah. the rest of the game. Or if we did, it was very few, few and far between. But I think what it did is it corrected the Rook, essentially. So people realised the impact it was having. So Parramatta scored after 11 tackles in within three, four minutes. So it, it made players realise that hang on, we, we can't do this, and, and and that I think without enforcing um, a penalty or without enforcing any sort of correction, it naturally corrected it because players were aware that you know there's a, there's there's a bigger penalty than kicking to touch, there's a, you know there's potentially points there, um, and the other one as well that they've done, which hasn't been brought into Super League yet, is the the scrum players, now. Obviously, again, that's not something we've seen in Super League. But in the NRL now, if you get ping with a, a knock on or whatever, the, the the team feeding the scrum can choose to play, you know, right on the the touchline, essentially, so ten meters in, twenty meters in, halfway, and, and and vice versa the other side of the pitch. So, as a fullback, obviously, I'm assuming you're one who sort of likes to play with a bit of space. What do you think of that, really, in terms of if you had a a scrum twenty meters out from the line. You can choose whether to go play at a fifty and, and straight through the middle, or you can literally pin players right into to one section of the field where you've got six attackers against six defenders with I think a fifty it's yard space. And what I do think you think about Jordy?
3: It adds uh, a little more, I think, just tactical like preparation to it as well. I I spoke to a few of our players and said, you know, we need to be a bit more creative. I think at at um, scrums we probably don't do enough in terms of you know our Saints team. And then, yeah, when they've introduced that rule, and I suppose by introducing that, it probably puts more emphasis on, on scrum plays um, because you can gain such an advantage if you get that right. So, yeah, I quite like it. It's interesting. Um, it'll be good good to sort of watch a few more games over the next few days and see how different teams take advantage of it because um, definitely think if you're a team with, with uh, some quick and agile outside backs, then you can take advantage of, of placing the scrum where you want.
0: Yeah, definitely. I think I was thinking about this the other day in, in terms of if I had like your standard bat line, where would you want to go from? And and for me, if you're twenty metres out, I'd just go straight down the middle and, and sort of still stack six yeah. six to six to one side or maybe a five one split. Um and just see how you go on the blind. You've got, you know, thirty yards if you, if your loose jumps out and you you seven splits to the right, you've got a three against possibly three, but we, you've got fifty yards to use that in, so um, no, that's just it my is opinion, interesting, but it, it, and, you it you know, probably goes all, totally wrong for me.
3: <laughs> sort of, especially as a, a fullback, you sort of do a lot of analysis and a lot of work with coaches on, you know, your positioning on the field and therefore yeah. how many players you should split either side—not necessarily necessarily from a scrum, but just generally in play. Um, so it is interesting when you have the scenario where a team massively overloads a space that realistically you would never put that many players in normally, and it's it's making that call on actually defending the space over defending the players but when you're 20 meters out from your own line you just can't afford to give somebody that much space so like you say that it's interesting to look at tactics like that and massively overloading one side and then seeing how they go um in the space but yeah uh, it like i say it's interesting i'd love to sort of give it a go and see how it actually went um with with us girls and see you know can you take advantage of it and what sort of things would work
0: I was just going to come to that. So, is it something that you know, as a player, I'd you'd probably like, like to, to see it, introduce probably to, uh, have to your few
3: friendlies and see how it went first. See, see how the Saints team went, and if it weren't working for us, then no, it's a
0: bad idea. <laughs> <laughs> and just lastly, Jodie, and I appreciate it, I took quite a bit of time here. Um, obviously, barring Saints, we can't obviously have Saints in this. But which you know, if you're a, a neutral fan, which Women's rugby team. Oh, would you, that's, that's you know, a tough one. It to is watch? a
3: really tough one. That um, you know, I he's got to be or Leeds, and it, it's easy to say because they were at the the top last year. You know, both finals, but both finals were absolutely outstanding quality, and both could have gone either way. Two completely different teams, I think. Um, Leeds very much structured, stick to a game plan, um, and Courtney Hill, who's actually an Aussie, so it kills me to say it, but just really, um, she just marshaled them around <laughs> that field so well. And when, you know, games are really tight um, and there's a lot of pressure on, she makes the right decisions and she just does the basics well. Uh, her kicking game's fantastic and and that really showed in, in those finals. And then, Cast just have so many individuals who are just really exciting players to watch. So, individually, one of them can do something absolutely outstanding that you just have to stand and, and applaud, really. Uh, I think Georgia Roach is a really exciting young player. Um, she was part of the England squad last year and went to Papua New Guinea in the nines. And she's got so much raw talent um, understanding the game will just chip over your head, catch it, and score. And <laughs> there's just nothing you can do about it at times. Um, but it was really great to be able to play with her um, so I actually played in the halves in Papua New Guinea and she was the other half halfback um, and yeah it's just exciting to to see how how just off the cuff she is um, and I think that's what you need that's how we're going to beat the Australians and, and the Kiwis is, is by having people who can play a little bit off the cuff and read a situation and Castleford have quite a lot of players who can do that Tara Stanley being another one who I mentioned earlier who's, just really exciting can can make people look silly with the steps she has Kelsey Gentle as you mentioned around that tackle she's just got so much speed um you know to make that tackle when really it was a give and try it was fantastic so they across the board have got individuals that can do brilliance like that so you'll definitely see some magic from Castleford and then you'll just see real tactical sticking to a plan and just just really seeing games out well from Leeds so i I don't know. You can choose which one people should watch. <laughs> but, you know, obviously Saints too. <laughs> yeah, I like it. So <laughs> good choice.
0: <laughs> I, I'm choosing Saint-Alain to be fair. So. <laughs> and just lastly, can we win the World Cup? I'm sure Jamie Feeney will Of course me, you can. From of an English point of view, can and we can win the World Cup next year? I get asked a
3: lot. And, you know, I know there's doubters out there. Don't get me wrong There's these times when, you know, you watch the Australians and the Kiwis and you just think, wow, they are incredible rugby players and, and they're such athletes. And we've got a task on our hands. Don't get me wrong; we're not underestimating that at all. But I played in the 2013 World Cup, and at that point, I honestly, you know, Australia went on and won that World Cup. But in the the game we played against them, they beat us by I think one try. And you know, it's I hate to to blame the referee, but we had such a rough ride with a referee at the time. I think we had two players Simbind and. it was a nightmare you know you look back at that game go we should have won that we really should have won that and we were so so close to them and they went on and won the world cup we were so close to the kiwis and that was probably the best game i've ever played uh not not personally but just as a team the the game against the kiwis in that 2013 world cup was amazing um and we were such a good quality team and we we could have won that world cup quite easily we were so close to both of them and then you know, in 2017, Australia came out and just—you know—they—they they, they put on such a good show for, against every team we played against. But particularly when they played us, they were fantastic, and we just didn't have the answers at times to to get through them. But that's what they did in four years. Um, they went from a team where I genuinely believe we could have beat them in that World Cup to being a team where you have to just take your hat off and go, they were better than we were in that World Cup, and there wasn't. You know, we would have had to have the best yeah. game of our lives, and they'd have had to have the worst game for us to be for us to beat them in on that day. Um, and we've we've made that same progression now between yeah. that World Cup and the one that we've got coming up next year. The young talent that we've brought in, the investment in the Women's Super League. So, you know, at a club level, the amount of additional support players are getting on a regular basis, which is important. It doesn't matter how much funding and support you're putting it in at an England level. If the players, you know, week by week, um in the usual club games and training aren't getting that support, then the contact time at England isn't enough to make a world-class athlete. So club wise, we've had the support step up massively. Um, you know, St. Helens are brilliant with us. I know personally I'm a better player than I was then. Um, and and the rest of the players around me are. And then the young players coming through off the back of having all this support at England, um, And at Super League level, there's so many more young girls coming through that are just so talented, so athletic naturally. We've got a bigger pool of players to pick from. And we've got so much talent there and investment. As soon as 2017 was over, all the talk was 2021 straight away. Usually we'd have to wait until the year of a World Cup for it to really be on the agenda of people, whereas straight away, the England Performance Unit we're saying right, how do we make this women's team win the 2021 World Cup? It's at home. It's going to be the bi- biggest women's World Cup there's ever been. It's going to be the biggest rugby league World Cup there's ever been ever. How do we make sure that this women's team have a chance of winning that World Cup? And all the investment that's got it gone in, and and the support that we've had, you can't question it really. It's been better than ever. We've you know the the games that we got to play last year was fantastic. Having the, the chance to go and play against um, the Aussies, the Kiwis, in even if it was a nine setting, and then especially Papua New Guinea, that's a big experience that the young girls needed. There were so many new people who'd never been on tour before. And just to experience that and, and what it's like being in, in an international camp, it's really important irrelevant relevant of what happens on a pitch. So we've been put in the best position we can to make sure that we can do ourselves proud and, and hopefully lift the World Cup on home soil. So... I'm definitely not writing us off, and and hopefully no one else will, and we can put a show on for everyone.
0: Hundred percent. Well, listen, Jody you got my back and I'm sure every, you know, obviously everyone else who follows Rugby in England's got your back as well. So, um, yeah, good luck, and and obviously fingers crossed we achieve that. Hopefully we can get you back on, you know, before.
3: Yeah, well, sounds great. a few times before then. It's nice to talk about the league again, actually. I feel that's all I do normally. Whereas I've
0: not had me fixed. <laughs> oh, It seems strange, doesn't it? It feels strange, oh. doesn't it? <laughs> um, Obviously, take a good luck with obviously you know, the, the job and, and working towards that community. Really, Rob. No, thanks. Fingers Being crossed, bad. we can watch you back on the Thank
2: field you.
0: soon, Jody. Bye. So that was um, Jordy Cunningham earlier on. Uh, brilliant, you know, really interesting interview, Josh. Um, one story which I forgot about actually and it's only when she um, she mentioned that week that it sort of sprung to mind so obviously as I mentioned earlier on did a bit of coaching at Crossfield we played um, that Weef can't remember when it would have been probably th- end of 13 I think it was yeah and, you know, we had a bit of a scratchy side they were quality you know like Jody Cunningham Jenny Wells but Gemma Walsh I think was there at the time um, you know really good team but <laughs> we um, so I think we we're getting beat like fifty nil at the time. And I was walking up to the um the halfway line at the ball and the kicking team and ready to give the Gemma to kick off. And I had a water bottle and I'm soaking the ball <laughs> just to try and because obviously we're kicking off. It's a tactic I used to use when I was playing. I was soaking this ball just obviously when you kick it it's it drenched. And Jenny Wellsby I think it, her name is, she uh, she obviously spotted me doing it and, you know, she weren't too happy with it, but <laughs> she made me swap the ball. But you know, I used to catch people like that. I used to like doing that. Um,
1: yeah, it, it, it's a bit, a bit like the welcome on a few years, back, mate. and yeah. it was like he murdered. It's like he murdered a stand full of fans when he was rubbing it on the grass. I thought, well, what if you do a grubber kick? You know, I just, I, I don't know, mate. I, I don't, I, I do see the advantage of it, but I, I, I certainly don't see the advantage of it because. <laughs> If, if, I think, if you... from my
0: point of view, I think you'd score like six tries on the bounce back to back. I was just desperate to get the ball back in our hands. Do you know what I
1: mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I would be fifty nil down mate.
0: Yeah, hundred yeah. percent. We had a few games like that. <laughs> um, yeah, so we'll jump into um, the interview with Jamie now. Um, you know, but first of all, just to say um, to Jordi, you know, she she was brilliant then. Um real character in the game as well. So she she's done like obviously bits and bobs for so Sky. Um, that Rub League programme that she's doing with with the World Cup programme and the you know, the community legacy I think it is. Um no, it's brilliant and obviously it's good to see that you know the women and key figures within that women's game are getting the recognition to to try and progress our game because that's important. You no, know, there's a whole you know, whole population of people out there that aren't your stereotypical rugby League fan, you know, young girls. Young women, young men who sort of look up to this women's game, and I think it's really important that we've got people like jordi who are pushing the game to that sort of next level. And and, and obviously we've got um, a real sort of core group of fans that will follow the game, whatever. But it's good to see that Jordy's there to, to grab the rest of the the imagination as well. If you know, as far as I'm concerned, um, hundred percent. But yeah, you know, so now we've got Jamie who again has come out from different point of view. So he's. You know, he played in the men's game. He played with Cameron Smith at Melbourne, Sonny Bill Williams, and and Jonathan Thurston at Canterbury. So, um, you know, a, re- a real great player in his own right, and and he's going to tell us a bit about his his courageous journey as well. And and obviously, myself and Josh will be back with you after that. So, this is myself early on with Jamie Feeney. Uh, we're joined now by um Jamie uh, Jamie Feeney over in Australia. Jamie, how's things mate?
4: Yeah, we're going really well. Thanks, Dan.
0: Good. How are you work, uh, hoping with, obviously, lockdown over there? I know it's a, a bit different to over here, but what's the situation?
4: Yeah, it's been it's been a little bit strange. Um, you know, obviously, rugby league stopped um, after round two over here in the NRL. So, um, and for us that work in the game, um, work sort of stopped then too for us. Um, so, we're all sort of stood down for a while, um, you know, of managed to work over, get back into work over the last couple of weeks, um, actually as a, as a biosecurity liaison officer. Um, so some people that work for the NRL are in at each of the NRL clubs now, um, with the start date, resuming date, um, next Thursday night, the 28th, um, we're just sort of in there working at uh, the clubs. I'm at the Sydney Roosters, which has been great. Um, you know, um, premieres for the last two years and and I'm in there um, just making sure that they're following the protocols, um, everyone's staying safe and well um, and everyone's sort of um, isolating themselves and and making sure we're following everything to make sure the game comes back with with no infections and and no dramas and and, uh, hopefully um, the rest of the world will, will come around as well.
0: And what are those protocols? Obviously, you mentioned uh, um, there's a lot of protocols being put in place. Just talk us uh, through some of them, if
4: you would, Jamie. Yeah, it's, um, well, it's, it's strange. I mean, the players, um, there's, there's clean and dirty zones. So um, if you're outside the, the training facility at the Roosters, it's that's a, that's a dirty zone. So you sort of you walk up with one pair of shoes on. Once you jump in the clean zone, you put a clean pair of shoes on that sort of stay in there. Um, and then you do the same when you're walking across to the, the training field um, you know you, you carry your boots with you you wear a pair of shoes you take them off just at the assessment area and, and the gate to the field um, and then you put your boots on and, and you walk out and you, and you train now um, there've only been resumption of training for the last two weeks or two and two and a bit and um, two weeks and two days and and last week was the first time they've been able to do any contact. Um, week one was around small groups of ten, so the players had to come in and only in groups of ten, um, with coaches included in that ten. So, um, yeah, very small groups doing small yep. drills, and then now, um, only a week out from a week and a bit out from the comp starting, they're back to full full teams. But um, you know, there's a lot of cleanliness. You know, when they're in the gym, they they wipe um, the, the bars down when they're lifting. They wipe all the equipment down in between lifts. Um, you know, there's a lot of different protocols to make sure that the, um, the virus, coronavirus, doesn't get spread. Um, everyone's tested as they walk in, um, temperature tested, and, and um, have to fill out a lot of forms. So, uh, yeah, they're going to the nth degree to make sure that there's no cases of the virus in the NRL. Um, because if that did happen, obviously the game would get shut down and, and uh, everyone would be be um, back to square one with, with no yeah, football. And, yeah, and I mean, football over here, um, as it would be over in... Well, when I say football, I know over in England, football, soccer over there, but um, yeah. but rugby league over here is is so important to so many people, um, not just the people that work in the game and play in the game. But um just the, even the mental health of the fans and supporters that that live in, in, uh, and breathe rugby league throughout the, the winter months over here and then um, you know have their own other followings throughout the summer months, whether it be cricket or or um, you know I know a lot of people over here follow American sports and, and, and English sports, including the um, rugby league and, and the um, soccer obviously that it's, it's big over here too so um yeah, I, th- I think rugby league's really important to a lot of people over here, and and everyone uh, is supportive and it, it coming back and looking forward to to next Thursday night when we finally kick off again.
0: And and obviously you mentioned that you're you're with the Roosters. Who's they got first up, Jamie?
4: Um, they have got South, which is a massive rivalry a for them over the years. Uh, so um, yeah, and and, it, and it's probably made even even more um, important this one. And, uh, because Latron Mitchell left um over the off season uh left the roosters after winning two premierships um and, and jumped across to to South Sydney so um yeah he'll he'll be coming up against his his old club and and uh and I guess Angus Crichton went over to the roosters from south um last year so yeah there's a couple of um you know rivalry uh, there and, and uh they've got next Friday night footy at at Bank West Stadium. So um yeah, we're we're all looking forward to, to football coming back.
0: Great stuff, yeah. Um so just to talk a bit about yourself, Jamie, obviously you know, your playing career um started at Canterbury in nineteen ninety nine. How did that come about? Did you you know was you always playing rugby as a, a kid growing up, Oh uh, yeah
4: I did. i I came from country New South Wales, um a little town Mining town called Muswellbrook uh, up in the Hunter Valley, and and to, to be honest, I um I came down to Sydney first to go to uni, and at the end of my first year of uni, um, got off of the trial at the at the Bulldogs. Um, I didn't really like Sydney because I'm a i am was a country boy, so I I travelled home every weekend, and and um it's about three and a half hours drive. Um, so I, I travelled home after university knocked off on uh, every Friday afternoon. And, and went up and played football football up home with my mates that I'd, I'd played all my life with, and and um, we're very fortunate enough that year to to win what's called the country championships over here. So all the regional teams in New South Wales would play against each other, and we won that um, that in in that's back in nineteen ninety nine, um, sorry nineteen ninety seven. So. Um, yeah and then I got an opportunity to to try with the Bulldogs um and yeah that I guess the rest is history I I uh I came down to go to be a PE teacher and, and ended up being a um professional footballer so it's not how it normally works for a lot of kids I didn't grow up wanting to be a professional footballer I just uh, I love football but um yeah I just I wanted to be a PE teacher so in the end I got I got to be both
0: and and obviously the Bulldogs back then um a great side, wasn't he? And I'm just trying to think of some of the players. Yeah, well, with Steve Price. Yeah, and when I, know, first, started, when I
4: first started, when I first started, you know, a lot of the the players were a little bit, you know, on the on the top end of their their careers. And, and um, you know, we had Darren britton and, and and Barry Ward and yeah. Simon um, Gillies and Mitch Newton and Robert Ralph and, and Jason Hetherington, Craig Polamana, players like that. That uh, was that had been at seasoned um first graders for years and and i got to to debut with them and and um and then we also had um Ricky Stewart and brad clyde come from canberra in ninety nine and uh, two thousand to come and play for us and and I grew up idolizing brad clyde and um yeah. and then I, and then got to play with him um so yeah it was it was a it was an absolute honor for me um, but then and then we sort of the changing of the guard kind of happened there's a there's a group of probably seven or eight of us that played under 19s at Canterbury together um, from ninety seven through to ninety nine and then um, and then we all then came through NRL and, and first grade together so um, you know that's the core, that's Corey Hughes, Brent and, um Adam Perry David Thompson um, we had like players like Travis Norton um, and then uh, Dennis Scott. There was guys like that that sort of came through and then by the time I finished, it was Willie Mason and Sonny Bill and and Astor and and, um, yeah. and Renny Mature and Roy Asatasi and those sort of players. So, um, yeah, I, I, I kind of went through over the eight years I was at Canterbury. I played with a lot of senior players that taught me a lot. Um, you know, sort of established... There's a group of us that established ourselves as first graders there for a while and then um, the the sort of young brigade of Mason and... Uh, and Anasta and all those came through, and, and Jonathan Thurston. I mean, um, he was only nineteen when he when he played first grade and, and uh, with us, and and went on to have a you know to be one of the best players that have ever played. So, um, yeah, yeah, we sort of had a, a big scope of play, different players um, at uh, different stages of their careers, and and you learn from every one of them. Um, you learn even from the young blokes. Um, you get enthusiasm from them. When they come into that squad, and, and um, which I kind of gave to those elder players when I first came in as a 20 year old.
0: And, and obviously, you mentioned the two of the players that you, you sort of played alongside, Jonathan Thurston and, and Sonny Bill Williams. Yeah. Is there anything that you think sort of stands out with them two players in particular that sort of separates them from, you know, the. the, the Every other player, because obviously a lot of people talk about champion players and that sort of thing. Is there is there anything that you can sort of remember from them that made them a bit different? Well, I think
4: I think Sunny when he was when he was young, he was just so talented. Um, you know, uh, as he's as he's become older and he's gone through and, he, and he's aged and matured, he's become very disciplined and that's why he's still um, a very good player and, and very fit and um, you know and physical. Um, but as as a young boy, he just came through and he was. A talent that you just you couldn't teach that sort of thing. Um, you know, he, he obviously had that enthusiasm. He's he was very big, like in stature for a young fella and and um you know and his skill level. You know, he, he could carry the ball in one hand. Um, you know, he wasn't afraid. I think that that's that's part of that young brigade coming through is they weren't I guess they weren't um overcoached to the point uh where they were overly structured and and disciplined he he would play he he would play what uh what he thought and what what he um you know what intuition came into him and and offload and and um and defensively he was great his technique he worked on it hard um you know and then you know as as he got older and, and he and he changed clubs he went to the roosters and was great there too and and then um yeah, then he moved over overseas, and then and went on to to rugby union. Whereas, and then you have a JT who was, you know, he was seventy kilo ringing wet when he was when he was a, a kid, just out and out natural ability and instinct for the game, um, and they're things that you can't really coach. And I guess he's just developed them over the years. He's he's gotten bigger, and he works really hard, uh, and. You know, and he's not afraid and uh, you could tell, tell that when teams would try and spot him up and run at him in defence and he just put his whole body on the line and and, uh, and did his best and, and uh, quite often um, he'd get some help from inside and out but that first contact was his, was his and he'd hold on and, and hang in there and, and, and make a dominant tackle which, um, which is not always part of his game when he was coming through the, the junior ring so... Um, and he's again. He's just someone else who works very, very hard. There's there's people with natural talent, but um, he takes that talent and he works really hard on it to make sure that he stayed at the top of the game um, for that for so many years. And, and as I said, he's he's one of the best players we've ever seen, and very fortunate enough to play with him.
0: Yeah, definitely. And 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 one thing that sort of stands out. I was watching something quite recently, and. Um, I think it was Thurston himself said that the amount of clubs that were just saying too small can't tackle,
4: too small can't tackle And And don't worry, we we kind of um, we were we were worried about that when he was first coming through too. But he's just his football knowledge and his instinct to play—he was just a footballer. And and um and sometimes you can, you know people that play nrl or any sometimes you can class them as athletes you know they can be just big and strong and powerful runners um they can be you know they can leap tall and, and leap over the top of people and then then there's just people who are footballers and know the game and and love the game and and, and can um, read the game and play um, the game at a pace that's when everyone else is frantic they're still calm and and uh, and collected and, and that's him and and uh, and that's someone like Cameron Smith as well that, that I was fortunate enough to play with down in, in Melbourne.
0: Oh, and that's obviously just about what it was come to. So in I think it was two thousand and four. You signed for uh, for the Storm. How did that move come about? I did,
4: yeah. Um, I was I was at the back end of my um, contract at the Dogs um, at the time. Uh, I'd, I'd come through. I, I sort of played um, all of two after day in '99. I played all but um, all of 2000. Well, I played a lot of 2000 um, and nearly every game in 2001, two and three. Then I got uh, injured the start of 2004. And, and as I said, we had those young blokes coming through with with Mason and, and Sonny and and Roy Asatasi and Ronnie Matura and things like that. And and I was and I was sort of in and out of first grade in '04. Um, I was 18th man in the grand final uh, and didn't actually play when we won the premiership, and, uh, and I just needed a new challenge. So I, um, I heard a lot about um, Craig Bellamy down there in Melbourne and, and uh, wanted to, to make that move and and, uh, and decided to go down there for the last couple of years of my um, career. And, and I'd finished at 28, which is fairly early, but uh, I'd had a... Um, Bull, some bulging discs in my lower back, and, and they didn't get any better. Uh, I got them in around 2003 at the Dogs, and they just didn't get any better. And and um, went down there, had a had a great couple of years in Melbourne. Uh, really enjoyed the time there, learnt a lot about rugby league, and and um, and then to fast track things, I guess I um I jumped in into a coaching role under Craig Bellamy down there. and and uh, and was in that as soon as and got offered that as soon as I retired and and that was my transition out.
0: And and obviously you know like you, like you mentioned that you're from the Hunter Valley, which is country New South Wales. Yeah. You then go into Sydney, which is you know the goldfish Boulevard of league, shall we say? You know, it's, it's highly sort of profiled. And then to switch that up even further, you go and live you know in a state in you know Victoria, which is again. Completely new to rugby league. I'm, I'm assuming back in two thousand and four five, not a lot of League at all over there, is there? So what was that like? No, well they. Go on, y- sorry.
4: You know what? It was. It was actually. It was quite refreshing. Um, yeah. You know, I'm, I'm not sure if, and I'm sure it did. On the news um, around the Bulldogs in two thousand and four with with uh, the Coffs Harbour scandal. Um, we had the we had the salary cap scandal in two thousand and two. Um, and when you do live in in sydney and as you said it's a rugby league fishbowl here um you can't really get away from rugby league um you turn on the telly and they're talking about it you open the paper and it's the last three or four full pages um and throughout the season yeah you have a whole lift out in the middle of the the major papers over here um, with rugby league um you know you if you've if you've got a well known like if you're well known or you've got a some sort of profile um then when you walk around um just even the streets and you go shopping and that people know who you are and they notice you and you know um I was never one to be able to get to to have people come up and ask for autographs and photographs and things like that but um I sort of lived at a time where mobile phone and cameras um weren't around. Um, which was which was quite lucky um, back then, but um, but yeah, I guess I guess the you go down to Melbourne and in, in Australian Aussie rules football, so um, AFL down there is so big, and the 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 storm only started in 1998, um, so you know I went down there seven years after they'd started. Um, you know, rugby league is tiny down there, and even players these days, such as your Cameron Smiths and and uh, your Billy Slater's, they they could still move around Melbourne and and not get noticed. And and there's a part of that that um, makes it really uh, refreshing to to live in because you can you go to training and you're a footballer, you leave training and you're just a father or a partner yeah. or a, or. A, um, you know a friend or you know and and I had two young children. Um, my daughters at the time were were sort of three and two when I first moved down there so um, yeah so they were, they were only young and and I could leave training and and be a dad so um, that that was really refreshing, whereas as I said when you lived in Sydney um, you came home and and you were still a football because it was everywhere, but I um, think-
0: yeah, I was gonna say I think a lot of um Australians who sort of move to England and play in the Super League, um uh, obviously you've got Premier League and Rugby Union which sort of take a bit of a precedent over here, so you sort of get the same impression from them whereby it's yeah. it's just a lot more sort of laid back for the players. There's no scrutiny and I suppose like you said, there's a bit of um there's a bit of pleasure in that, I'm assuming.
4: Yeah, there is. And it's just um you just get to relax, which which as a even as a person, like just as a normal individual that doesn 't play rugby league, that just goes to work uh, and then comes home you you actually get time to relax and you 're not always thinking about football football 's not always at front of mind, and it 's not you 're not always reading about it and seeing it all the time so there 's a part of that that, as i said is is so refreshing and you get to relax that it actually helps your football out because you you focus on footy while you 're there and then you um, you sort of put your you, you take your footy hat off and you you put your your parent hat or your partner hat on when you go home and you can you can really distinguish the two two things and, and it's uh, yeah it's, it was a good time.
0: Good stuff. And then, like you said, there, so you went you sort of fast tracked into coaching. What was your role at Melbourne within coaching? What what did you do?
4: Um, so Melbourne moved moved me when I retired to the Central Coast of New South Wales. Um, yeah, Mel- Down in Melbourne, there's not a lot of rugby league um, played. There's more and more um, nowadays. But back then, um, their feeder system, their their players that didn't play in the the NRL each week would get sent, you know, every weekend. You'd have, you know, anywhere between 6 and and 12 players, um, depending on fitness and and injury rates, getting put on planes and flying to Queensland to play somewhere for someone or to New South Wales. And, and there's quite often uh, back then, players would be playing against each other from Melbourne um, and because they'd go to two different teams instead of just sending 12 players back from Melbourne to play in one team and, and sort of um, you know, professional players going back and, and dominating a competition, they'd split their players around. So players would sort of train all week with each other um, and for the Melbourne Storm and then go back and have to play each other and bash each other around um, <laughs> of a weekend. So um, Melbourne, Melbourne decided to create what was called the Central Coast Storm back then and, and I basically ran their feeder club um, for three years and, and coached those players that got sent back. Um, they'd fly into Sydney and and um, take, a, take a minibus up to the Central Coast Play for me for the weekend, and then fly back to Melbourne um, on the on the Sunday, and and uh, go back and join them for training. So, I I was basically the I guess the reserve grade coach um, yeah. for the Melbourne Storm for three years, and uh, on the Central Coast of New South Wales. So it was um, it wasn't. It's a really nice place to live. I, I stayed there um, after that three years, and and uh, went back to my teaching degree and, and taught on the Central Coast and. And lived there for around eight years, so um, loved the area, and, and um, yeah, was very grateful for Melbourne offered me, offered me that opportunity straight out of um, out of playing and 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 into coaching. And uh, and under Craig, I learnt I learnt uh, quite a lot. Um, so, and I I probably coach a lot of the of what he taught me back then um, in the systems that I coach in now. And
0: you know, Craig, Craig Bellamy sort of revered. You know, globally, now has been one of the, the best coaches, certainly within rugby league. Anyway, and, and and like you said, though, you're now involved with the Jillaroos. What what's your role within the Jillaroos? assistant coach? Is it, I think.
4: Is, yes, is so right? I am the I am the assistant coach, and um you know, and then and on a day to day basis for the NRL, um, not at the moment because we were you know the the women's rugby leagues put on hold for for now. But um as I said, I'm. I'm working with the Roosters in a different capacity at the moment. But my day-to-day role, if, uh, if everything was went back to normal, would be uh, running elite and um, development player camps across all of Australia. So um, basically running Talent ID um, across Australia to find the best players, the best women's rugby league players playing and, um, and then putting together camps and academy programs to develop that, that talent and hopefully, um, I'm sure you've heard about, about the NRLW over here, hopefully yep. when uh, when it grows and uh, they add some teams to it, um, a lot of these players that, that have been through our system um, will be the ones that are, are ready to, to step up and, and showcase themselves on, on TV and and, um, and promote the women's game.
0: And what's the, the situation with the women's game with, obviously, the coronavirus? Is that a year out,
4: is it, or what, what's it looking no, like? No, not not at this stage. Um, there, there hasn't been, to be honest, there hasn't been a lot of communication, or a lot of decisions made around the women's game yet. Um, you know, obviously, the men's game that is so important over here and, and, um, and obviously generates that much uh, money and, and income and, and broadcast deals and 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 so much attention um once it gets going next uh thursday night and starts kicking into gear i know that there's some work in in behind the scenes to make sure that the women's game is is um is back up for this year and 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 not given um a year off so at the moment there's just a lot of girls that are out there that that are, are training um on their own and and um Hopefully teams will get back to training um, once some some of the restrictions are lifted over here. And uh, at the moment, you can sort of train in groups of 10. Um, But once, obviously, teams are are bigger than that. So once teams can get back, hopefully in the next two to three, maybe four weeks, um, teams will start to to train together and and prepare for the local seasons here um, that are going to be obviously shortened. But obviously the NRLW as well is there's only four teams in it, so and they've only played four games for the last two years. So um, at very minimum, hopefully we get four games up again, and yeah. uh, and these girls that are that are training so hard at the moment on their own and in isolation um, will get just rewards for all the hard work that they're doing now, and and they'll be back on the big stage and, and playing in their team colours. Fingers
0: crossed, and then obviously next year we've got the the World Cup, um, which you know, I'm assuming you'll be travelling over for.
4: Yeah, um, and we've uh, we we know that it's how cold it's going to be. We've been trying to <laughs> trying to acclimatise and not not rug up so much over here, so we can start to get used <laughs> to it. I've never and I've never what, been in I've never been in uh, in cold like that, mate. Ever, so um, <laughs> I'm not sure if I'm looking forward to it or not.
0: October's not too bad. It's when you when you start pushing towards December, that's when you'll start feeling it.
4: Oh, so, yeah. Well, if you get knocked
0: out early, it's not too bad.
4: Uh, hopefully we <laughs> won't, mate. Hopefully we <laughs> won't.
0: <laughs> and just another, obviously another word on a couple of the teams that you'll be playing against. In that you've got obviously New Zealand, um, England, and, and Papua New Guinea. I think have a, a strong women's team, but you've also got Brazil as well. Um, now we were speaking to Adrian Vowles last week, who's Obviously, the Fiji coach and yep. just a, a, a quick word on a couple of the teams you'll be facing.
4: Yeah, well, the, the funny thing is, um, international rugby league for for women um, has basically, besides the World Cup, is generally uh, has been dominated by Australia and New Zealand, and uh, we've we've been playing test matches against each other. Um, even in World Cup year, we played the Anzac Test in. Um, in April, or I think it was actually early May, and then we played each other at the back end of the year in, in the World Cup final too. But um, we've sort of got a standing um, match against them every year. But over the last couple of years, there's just been these teams that are, have popped up, and and we've played um, we played Fiji last year um, as as a Prime Minister's 13 team, and Papua New Guinea the year before, uh, or oh, sorry, the two years before, and. And the strength in both of those sides um, over the the last few years, and the strength of development and the programs that they're they're following, um, yeah, has really has really paid off for them because they've they've really pushed our um, our elite girls and our development girls, um, you know, to to the point where know, um, yeah, last year Fiji were very close to even knocking us off. Um, and that was the Prime Minister's 13 game over there. And, um, you know, Brazil, I, I wasn't even aware that they played rugby league. So um, it's going to be great to see them play. Um, you know, England came over here and, and challenged in, um, the nines at the start. Um, sorry, when was that? Last year? Yeah. The back end of last year. And, and um, you know, the growth of the women's game across um, across Australia is... Also, getting um, shown that uh, that's happening across the world, and, and it's just great. You know, um, I, I don't think um, either Australia or New Zealand can just sit back and, and be safe in the fact that they're going to um, go through and, and play uh, in a World Cup final, which has probably been the case for the last three or four World Cups, um, where it's just been basically in New Zealand versus Australia. Um, you know, given that they were going to going to go through and play, so uh, it's really good. It's exciting, um, and the challenge is for all teams now to to get up and, and get prepared after what's going to be a really probably uh, disrupted preparation, um, because the games over here, um, obviously, the international games still up in the air. We don't even know if we're playing. Get to play in New Zealand at the back end of the year. Um, uh, I, I, I doubt very much we'll, we'll travel to png at the end of the year to play them which which um, we would we were uh, which was the plan and yeah you know we we don't even know if we'll get an international game in this year so um, preparations normally at least one or two games a year um, to practice in, in the lead up to that world cup and, and now we might not even get a game between now and then so um, yeah it's going to be a close one and and uh, we're really looking forward to it. Definitely, and
0: obviously, you know, fingers crossed that you know you can at least get one game in this year in preparation. But
4: yeah, it'd be nice. Um, but I mean, um, yeah, obviously, there's there's a lot of things that have to happen to to get that up and running. Our our state of origin over here is still not um, certain to be played with, with the girls. It's it's been um, a great battle and and really well received by um, new and old fans of of the game and watched by over a million 1.1 million people um the last two years wow. and and we've had um crowd numbers for the women's game over here of eight and a half thousand and then and then uh, ten and a half thousand last year so um wow. yeah yeah it's been unreal and, and it's been really growing and, and we just hope that um what's going on across the world at the moment isn't and is going to affect that and, and um i mean the state of origin for the men is going to be played after the grand final for the first time ever um, and hopefully we can get uh, a women's rugby league um, state of origin in at that stage as well
0: fingers crossed well yeah again Jamie you know, really appreciate your time and, and obviously good luck with obviously the preparations and hopefully we'll, we'll get to speak to you again before any yeah, international yeah, games yeah I'd that's
4: love something. to mate um, yeah thanks for the support of, of uh, women's rugby league too yeah um,
0: no worries at all. No worries at all. Roger. Thanks for your time. Thanks, Dan. Take Peace. care. Mate. Bye bye. So that was Jamie Feeney. And um, like I said, you know, great guy. His he career quite deceiving, actually. So um, you, know, you might not obviously remember, you know, especially people over in England, you might not remember too much of Jamie Feeney's career. But to play for obviously the Bulldogs when they were you know going great with Steve Price and people like that, and then obviously to play with you know Cameron Smith when. Uh, and obviously under Craig Bellamy when Melbourne was sort of really coming into their own, it's you, know, you don't do that without you know being a great player. So, you know, it's good to hear that, you know, he's had that great career. But, you know, probably more importantly for us today is that you know, the the progression he's going into with the Australian women's pathway programme, the pathway programme in general, um, you know, the assistant coach for the Gillaroos and, and obviously the 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 role he's doing with the roosters at the minute he's obviously you know going into some great roles in coaching and and that's really good to hear as well so hopefully we'll we'll catch up with him before you know the world cup as as with geordie as well but you know we'll certainly look to do that um but that's about it really so you know just before we go josh obviously the you know the nrl's back up as we mentioned earlier on we've still got you know as we record this we've still got seven games to go what's your your tip what are you tipping to, to win a game this weekend.
1: Obviously, you've got the Saturday not you? you've got New Zealand versus St George, and Sharks versus Tigers, and then obviously the Storm versus Raiders. I'm going to go for the Storm versus Raiders game, and I expect a close game. Obviously, Raiders haven't been beat uh, this year after, and neither have the Storm, but I think Melbourne were just edged this one, and I'm going for Melbourne by four to six points, I think. Melbourne four to six? Yeah, Melbourne four to six.
0: Cameron Smith, man of match? John Batman man of the match. John Batman. I
1: love
0: Cameron Smith brought on a beard, I the other day, actually. That's that quite... He's the, the quite God, man. That's racist. why. He he
1: is, he, he's
0: God. He's the God. He's God. <laughs> I said a joke the other day, I said, what's the difference between Dominic Cummings and God? And he said,
1: God wishes he was Dominic Cummings. <laughs> yeah, there's only the man on this earth, who at the moment can... Get away with travelling so many miles, mate, and not get punished. <laughs> <laughs> ah, fair enough.
0: Uh, for me I'm gonna go the, the, the uh the sharks. I just think everything going on with uh, Bronson Sherry and whatever, Sharks will be a bit dumbfounded. Um, and I really like the tigers. I think I was said with Adrian Vowles last week that um, you know that right edge with Luciano Lelua and, and Joey Lelua. Um, obviously, got Benji there and, and Corey Thompson on the winger as well. I think that's quite a, a leaflet. To that and Elijah Taylor, people are you know, they always they always show well. Um, but yeah, that's that's my tip. Tigers by close game two. Tigers by two to beat the uh, the Sharks. But don't know, it can go in either way. Of that, but yeah, Tigers by two. And just Josh, I
1: I obviously I hope my team on Sunday win, which is madly. I hope they beat the Bulldogs on Sunday too. Keep up this manly fan, You're yeah. A manly, yeah. Fan, yeah. You're a manly fan, mate. Yeah, you know, I just hope they keep this a good start. If, if obviously, if, if they beat Canterbury on Sunday, it will be a good start for them, and hopefully, yeah. they, they can kick on this year.
0: Yeah, no, to be fair, I like looking manly. I love um, I think I was the to pick Tur- a player to, Turbul- to, Tom mate, to yeah to Tommy wow. Turvey 100 right, yeah. Turbul- unbelievable he's the man, man. his brother as well Jake as well two great
1: yeah. players aren't they yeah two great players and T- Terry Evans coming off the back of them as well mate. he's just, just yeah, brilliant but yeah yeah, that that that's it from us this week and I hope you've enjoyed and we haven't bored you too much again and thanks for listening yeah it's been a long one mate it's been a long one this week it hasn't is. it it has mate <laughs>
0: oh. Um. Yeah. Obviously, take care, stay safe, and you're out outdoors a bit more. You know, a bit more now, yeah. but you know, make sure you stay yeah. safe and follow the guidelines. Yeah,
1: yeah. And... Stay alert. Stay alert. as as they
0: say. Stay alert. That's yeah. it, mate. Stay, stay alert. alert. Um. But yeah, myself and Josh will be back with you next week, mate. Yeah.
1: Yeah. 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 Next week, definitely.
0: Brilliant. Take care. Thanks for listening.
1: Bye bye.